so the idea was basically I was working at MUSC in Charleston. Yes. And um, the chief and I both wanted to talk about medicine, wanted to talk about Parkinson's, talk about stroke, and interview some of the attendings. Right. Um, raise awareness for stroke. You know, Charleston has, like, a huge problem with chronic medical illness and, like, diabetes, really? high blood pressure, and stroke. Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's the stroke belt. So, like, all of the South, Mississippi, like, Missouri, like, uh, wow, I never, Louisiana. I never, knew that. I never knew that. There's, like, a huge problem with unrecognized. You know, people walk around with blood pressures of 190, 200. We would go to the baseball. They have, like, a minor league baseball game. We would go and take people's blood pressures. They had no idea. They were sitting in the 190s. It's just lack of access to wow. medical care. So trying to raise, raise awareness and things like that. And the idea was to, to put it out. But I finally did it. And I'm really glad I did because I just stopped listening to music. You know, I was a DJ for a decade plus. Right. And in... Um, DJ tips. <laughs> B-tips, yeah. B-tips. Yeah. This is really cool, though. So you had this idea. And, yeah. you, and you just, like... Yeah, I manifested it. I bought all the equipment. I just, like, got a credit card and bought the gear and made it happen. And I now mean, it's I'm, fascinating. You know, there's too many interesting people in Pittsburgh while I'm living here and anywhere I live in the world where I should be having these conversations recorded. And, it's, and, and I'm learning so much from it. I'm learning about wow. the way I speak. I'm learning about my vocal patterns. I use the multiple phrases that I hate, like, you know. <laughs> I say, you know, a million times an episode. Dude, that's, say, that's um, like, a as a yoga teacher, like, that's what we learn that about ourselves, too. Because of Zoom, right? Um, of Zoom, but also just, like, you'll be, you'll hear it in another teacher's class, and then you'll go teach, and you'll hear it in yourself, and you'll be like, oh, my God, I just heard myself do that. That's why you have to take other teachers' classes. One of the reasons. Yeah, that's right? one of the re you. Yeah, you constantly have to do that, I guess. I mean, Are there people in Pittsburgh that you go to? Um, I usually just take class at my own studio because I'm just supporting the community that I'm in. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any rule that you have to, like, I think you just do what feels right. It's kind of what I've always done. I'm just, like, so involved in it that that's where I'm at. If I have any free time, I'm going to go to take a class with one of the teachers. Who helps you run the business? <sighs> Is. There's two. There's two studios, right? Yeah. Um, I run it with, uh, well, I, I basically, I have a great partner. And um, he has always been pretty supportive of me. He doesn't work there, so to speak. But there's a lot of, like, you have to have somebody that's willing to, like, I mean... It's just like grunt work, like carrying shit back and forth. Um, <laughs> when the shit goes wrong, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, this fell. Like, can you help me, like, get up on a ladder and do this? Like, that's what a small business owner is doing. Like, this broke, this fell, this, uh, there's a problem. This is out. This isn't working. The route, something's not working with the internet. Like, it's, you know, like, it's just like a house, but like that but two of them two of them east and liberty and strip district strip. yeah the strip is a really great area have I you been like to both of the spaces yeah. or just one no i think I've, I've been to both you've been to both studios. yeah the one in um the strip is the one where there's that really interesting business next to it and you have to take off your your you don't have shoes on and you're walking in the halls to go to the bathroom <laughs> and then there's the <laughs> yeah you should put your shoes on if you're going out in the hall uh, i'm at the age where i have at least one pee break for yoga class really 
about one. So the East Liberty yeah, Studio has the bathrooms in the studio. Right. That's the and um, yeah, the the okay. So here's like business owner brain. Um, when they're in the studio, you have to take care of them yourself and like oh, clean so them yeah, and yeah. like put toilet paper and paper towels and keep them all like you're basically when they're in the space when they're out of the space then you're paying for somebody to do that because you're going to pay common area maintenance fees but you're in paying the building somebody. so it's what it's either or like you're still paying for the supplies and you'd have to clean it and pay for somebody to clean it so you're doing that but then you don't have to worry about it so it's one less. I mean, you're paying the same price either way. The one is that you actually have to have your hands in it, and the other one you're just making a payment. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, so logistics of bathroom management of small business. Owners. There's that really cool. No, this is actually what I want to talk about. There's a really cool other business in the strip that's something about going back to your birth experience, and you you become a, an egg. Do you know the one I'm talking about? The there? harmonic egg. Yeah, yeah I have done that? it. Really? Yeah, I bought a whole package and did it. Oh, that's cool. I loved it. In fact, I was going through something and I kept being drawn to um, the egg because I was, I just put the business there. I met everybody in the building and, you know, it's, I mean, how can you not? Like I put a business nest to a thing that has like a, a, a virtual spaceship <laughs> in the room next to me and they're saying I can go in there and feel great. I'm like, okay, how much does this cost and what's it like? The only thing I was slightly worried about was claustrophobia because that's weirdly crept up on me as I've gotten older, mm. like weirdly so, where I like actually forethink like, oh, I don't know, that space might not work. So that was one thing, but they, I realized it's as big as a car and they'll even leave it a crack, like if you would crack a window in a car or something. And like you don't feel, you do not feel closed in. Suze, what, what are you talking about? This is the experience? Like, the, the explain egg. to me, what, what is it? Oh, you go in it. Are you talking? Go in what? I mean, like an, like an egg, like a spaceship egg. <laughs> like, do you know what I'm talking about? No, I, I've, I mean, I, I have an idea that there's an experience that they'll provide you, but I don't know what the experience okay, is. Okay, did you so not see it? Is it a floating it? tank? Is it? No, did you not see it? Not really. Okay, did you see the picture of it outside? It's like it looks a like a bed. big uh, egg uh, on, like an egg-shaped, Yep. like if a kid had a playhouse, so, an egg playhouse. Oh, cool, okay. Okay? Is it like going back into the womb? That's the idea? I mean, You're I... kind of like it's, it, The way that I did it was like they... Did, your birth experience. I guess so, and yeah. also that it's a sensory deprivation. Yeah. So for me, that was dealt. They delved into the chakras and like talked to you a little bit before to get a sense of things, and then like where what you want to focus on when you're in there, and just by what you say to them, yeah, they will um, put on a color yep. and a music track. Oh, cool. And based on like what you were going with when you were just like blah 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 talking to them, and so then uh, you go in and you're in for. Uh, 50 minutes with the music on and 10 minutes of silence at the end. That sounds really cool. And yeah. you just lay there. That you're in an actual chair that tips back and like you're totally, totally supported and they put blankets on you. I love it. It's like Yoga so Nidra. Yeah. It's just like this really so cool, cool light music experience. You feel cozy and you drift and it's supposed to like whatever music they're playing is supposed to go into your brain and like do something to you. How'd you become a yoga teacher? 
I took training. It was on the West Coast? You have a teacher out west, Oh, no. Right? I actually initially took training right here in Pittsburgh My because there's levels of training that you do. My initial first training was here in Pittsburgh, yeah. The first 200-hour? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, at a studio right in, uh, well, they have a lot of studios, actually. I took, I took my teacher training at Yoga Flow. Do you know Yoga Flow? Nope. So there's a, it's, it's a pretty big yoga studio in Pittsburgh. It has five locations. Yeah. How did you know you wanted to do it? You were already just practicing a lot. I actually, right up here by you guys here in Dormont is South Hills Power Yoga. Yep. And when I was living in the South Hills, I was married. I had my kids. And it kind of had just opened. Coincidentally, my husband at the time, um, well, still is, but was at the time that I was married to him and still is, the uh, the drama teacher at Bethel Park High School. Whoa. And so one of his students, well, not current students, but graduated students that he had worked with in the theater in high school opened that yoga studio. Wow. And so that was kind of cool. And she was just always a really, you know, he really liked her as a student and like everything she had brought to the table as like a theater student. So he was excited for her. And uh, I, I guess I was just like, I don't know how it comes about in anything, but I had always been doing yoga this was the first time I'd ever gone to like a yoga studio though, because the yoga that I did, I started doing yoga in my twenties when I was in television news producing and, um, I got really stressed with my hours and I was young and I wasn't eating well and kind of just like partying hard, working hard, working weird hours, living that kind of life. And it took its toll on my body and my mental state. I was anxious and I developed an anxiety disorder. And so, you know, you're going to therapy and I had a really cool therapist at the time since retired, but she um, told me about yoga and I was like, oh, that's cool. And she like said, look it up. Well, you look it up in the yellow pages. It was one in Squirrel Hill that was looked really cool. Um, It was a little community center, like second floor thing, little small room, very carpeted. Um... We went in. My teacher was, like, older. It was really cool. My legs up the wall. Is Felt that the r- spot that's above the library? Because there's a really cool teacher there. Actually, one of my mom's yoga teachers who's in her 80s now. Oh, my God. She, that's probably her. Yeah, she's incredible. I don't know if it's so the same bad. person, but Gay Galza was her name. Oh, no, no, no. Different. Okay. That's cool, though. I'm sure but there's it was a lot a of similar, really yeah, amazing. And so I really I was the youngest person in the room at the time. There was no, you didn't, so like, I just, you just read about it. It told you to go there. You went there at the time. You just showed up. There's no signups. There was no websites. There was no internet. There was no, like, I mean, there was dial-up maybe. Like, there was nothing. So you just went, and then you paid a check to, like, take it for six weeks or ten weeks or whatever. And if you went, you went. If you didn't, you didn't. They got their money up front. And it was always like Tuesday at this time, once a week, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> so I did that and I loved it. Then I eventually when I got married and got pregnant and all that stuff, I went into the prenatal thing and I loved that. I went to like this woman conducted yoga out of her dining room in Edgewood. Um, so when she would have her, you know, yoga classes, like you came in and her like husband and kids would be there and she would have the dining room it was this gorgeous old Victorian house and the dining room was large with large ceilings, but you know, they would push the table away and then we would sit in a circle and we would do our prenatal yoga. And I loved that. 
And then I had my son and, um, you know, he was just young, like maybe, you know, so I kept doing that. And, and as I, at some point when he was a kid was when the studio yoga started happening and I got wind of the new studio that opened in town. And I thought, oh, I'll do that because I like that stuff. I do yoga. This would be cool. I saw the word. And I went and I started doing it all the time. And what, I did it with year, my friends. What year is this? Not to date you too much, but. Well, there's no getting around it. Um, so this would be 2004. Okay. Blog era. Yeah. So, yeah, because my son was born in 99. So I think it's about four or five years later that that so up so I'm still in that realm of like going to the community centers in fact so much so that even like in Edgewood they had or no not Edgewood Regent Square they had a community center there kind of like where the old sort of across the street and down from where the old Regent Square cafe was and that was where we started going to yoga there too with this one group that I was attending um, that's the first time, like I meditated, like anything like that. It was really cool. You have a med- meditation practice? No, 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 I do not anymore. No, I do not. And my meditation practice consists of every single time that I have free time for myself. I fill it up with more stuff that I probably, you know, just making more work for myself. How old's your son now? My son is 24. Yeah. So he's. he's- out of the house, doing his own thing. My son lives in Boston. Yeah. He is a um, coder guy, cool. software yeah. coding. Yeah. Yeah. He makes code. Um, he did computer science in Boston. He works for a cybersecurity company. They awesome. make they make codes to um, sell a product to to e commerce to make sure, like when I go in to buy something, everything with the credit cards, like the safety. Yep. It's actually a pretty important thing because <laughs> it's pretty valuable right now. Because like. That's necessary. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. My buddy, um, one of my best friends, Danny Longarms, is a coder in New York. I okay. Just, it was his birthday yesterday. I was just on the oh, phone Oh, happy birthday, Danny. Yeah, shout out Longarms. So, shout out um, So that's cool. So that's what he does. Yeah. He's also, though, I do fear sometimes that that kind of job, like he's very sedentary. Mm. I mean, he's naturally like a, he was a hockey player when he was a kid. He was naturally a soccer player, hockey player. Like he naturally did that it was always naturally like muscular and athletic but like he's also now he climbs so that's what he likes he likes climbing he doesn't do yoga doesn't do it's okay you know yeah he could care less about it he's tried it many times it's not for him i think probably what turned him off was initially when i had him try it i was teaching at a hot yoga studio Yep, and he absolutely was like, "This is the absolute worst." You know what the issue is? It was too young. Been for me lately. What? The yoga to me, it feels like a very feminine space, like a, a oh, space really? for for women. To women be, empowerment, kind yeah, of. Yeah, for them to like have their own thing. Really? It's oh, like it was huge on my retreat. You know, I just got back from Tulum, and I was the only guy. Oh there. well, that of course. What uh, are you talking about? Well, that I don't know. Like- <laughs> I didn't know. You went on a Tulum retreat for yoga and you thought it was good. There were going to be dudes? Well, yeah, mm. I guess. Okay. All right, Isaac. I didn't know the drill. All right, DJBQ. I'm learning. I should have asked you. Is it not going to stay? No, that, was, that would definitely be, I would not imagine that to be a very masculine experience. No. No, it actually turned out to be perfect because Brian Peoples was there. He's now my favorite yoga teacher. You know, oh, Francesca okay. was great, but there was a guy also. 
and I did a private with him, and he changed my life. Oh, fantastic. He, I don't know who that is. Put but... me in wheel and sat on me for an hour. Oh, that's fun. Sick. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was just fantastic. weeping. I was weeping for like 20 minutes straight. Sick. <laughs> you didn't get into wheel before? Not with a 200-pound man on, on Oh, my, sitting on, my on you in wheel. Standing, basically, yeah, with his knees. Oh, okay. I don't know about that. That seems like a torture On my hamstrings. Thing. Yes. I don't think oh. that's my yoga. <laughs> I didn't think it was either. No. I learned. Well, that's the thing, though, is that, you know, there's all different kinds. All different kinds. From, from all, all, you know, from, I think back to the yoga that I did when I was younger comparatively to what I do now and all the different phases. Because that's another thing, too, is I think people go through different phases of what they like for their practice. And just because you're in one phase, you know, I look at some people's phases. Like, I remember when I was in a very, very different phase than I'm in now. And I would look at people that are in the phase I'm in now and be like, oh, they're not that that's a different phase. Like, that's different. What they like doing. I wonder if I'll ever like that. You know, what are they? Um. Like, I used to be really, 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 really into arm balancing. And, in fact, I have an arm balancing workshop this Saturday. And I think it was something that I, like, really, um, I really enjoyed learning the technique of that and, and practicing it. I had so much fun with it. It was, like, I don't know, almost like a a creative skill, if you will, like learning it and putting your, because like, yes, it's strength wise, but there's this creativity involved in understanding how to move your body in that way and hold yourself. It felt really, it felt really, um, masterful. I really liked it. And the way probably my headspace at the time, like where I was in my life, like, you know, I needed to feel that way. Now I find it to be exhausting <laughs> you still demo them in class I, yeah i, I do them yeah. no i do them i mean i do them because i think there's still a need to like uh you know i saw I don't, they're not out, totally out of my system but it's also like i do think like um it's an art and a skill and that they're you know the that not all teachers know how to do them and a lot of people want to learn a little bit of them. And so if you have that skill, it's nice to share it while you want to still. I don't think it will be, if you don't have any interest in sharing it, that's, you know, I'm not saying you should, but I feel like sometimes I still have an interest in sharing it. I'm not completely out of not sharing it yet. That's why I'm, but the last time I did an arm balance workshop was a year ago. So I used to do them so frequently and now like I do them like once a year. And I just had people like, it, you know, be like, oh, this one girl said the other day, she's like, I can't believe it. I have a something to do on the day and you're doing it. So I'll just, I'm going to catch you on the next one. And I was like, okay, like, bye next good year. Luck. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> or this might be your last one. Like, this yeah. might be my last celebration tour. <laughs> well, you're not going anywhere, Suze. So, so maybe you're using the, anywhere. maybe using the Ayurvedic language, the practice has shifted from more of a rajas to oh, more of like, like a pitta like or like more of like a calm. Like you're, you're not, you don't have to show off for anybody anymore. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's it. I didn't think of it that way. Um, maybe I don't. And maybe, maybe like, yeah, I think there's numerous things that have gone on with me. Just like. 
kind of sometimes as a student, you know, what there was a time when I was a student and that's all I wanted to learn. You know, I got excited when that part of the class would come about. I'd be in my teacher's classes and they would do something. I'd be like, you know, I'd be really into that. And now as a student, I'm really, really into the beginning parts of class. I like moving slower in the beginning. I like building into flow, but I'm less concerned with peak poses. I'm less concerned with that. I'm more into like um, getting my body like a release, a movement release, if you will, by like feeling energy moving with the breath. I like some holds just enough to get a little deep enough to really give myself a stretch, but I do like to move a lot back and forth. I don't want it to be like a, a boot campy workout. This is my personal practice I'm talking yeah. about, but that does yeah, yeah. inform sometimes how I teach is what I'm saying. Like how, where I was in my headspace. I just recently started this new thing sculpt. I'm really into these isometric movements, but I like both flow and that style of yoga. And I love putting these things on my legs and doing like repetitious movements, but combining that with yoga style movements kind of like a pilates vibe it's it's very much a mashup of pilates and yoga in a way for sure and it it creates a different strength in the body i also feel like i don't like as a person maybe that's why i shift sometimes i don't like to plateau i start to get interested in other things yeah well but that could also be part of the challenge like in a yin class and you're stuck somewhere and you have to find a way to get through it yeah yeah change your mind yeah i'm not that much into the idea of yoga being this like i think i've taught this many times to people and sometimes now i'm starting to question this idea of yoga meaning that you have to be uncomfortable to get uncomfortable and that kind of stuff that was a lot of lingo that i think i've spewed and a lot of teachers have spewed it's not to say that i don't find any relevance in it um, I do, but I'm starting to think that, you know, the the shape of my practice now is in learning what feels good. Yeah, I think the the way that James and Judy said it, the teachers that I did my training with, was something like find your edge, like mm-hmm. this whole like knife's edge idea. And yeah, I, what do you think of that? I mean, I've said that. I've taught it. I've been yeah. taught that, and I've taught it. Like, the lineage that you're speaking of. Like, your teacher's telling you that, and then you kind of pull that in, and I did the same, and then I actually, running a yoga school, I mean, over the years that I've trained people, I, I mean, I'm, I'm re- things are coming down to me through people, and then I'm bringing those out and infusing some of it in terms of what my own personal way that I am in those moments and then it's kind of filtering down and I guess what I'm saying is is that I don't feel anymore so much where that like I'll say that because I've said it for a while and I'm wondering if that's really how I feel I think it it can go too far so the example I would give is something like when I was um you know in my 200 hour one of those two people I won't say which one uh put me in a pose that was dangerous like it was, you know, um, dangerous. How leg behind my head? Dangerous how though? Like you could stretch the muscle. <laughs> my, like what's the danger? My hip was not open enough to tolerate. Okay, so what was going to happen to you? I could dislocate my hip. 
Yeah. Could you dislocate your hip if you fell down the stairs? It, no. Prob- well, probably mm-hmm. not. You could probably break it. Because every wouldn't. injury that I've ever had, and I've been doing yoga for 28 years, has been me pulling a dish out of the dishwasher, falling off of a massage table, getting in a car accident. And I've been doing yoga for 28 years. Yeah. And I've never been injured. Yeah. But I mean, I don't want to say that, but I do think there's a lot of people that put a lot of emphasis on like, you can cause injury. And I'm oh, kind of yeah. like, so can you at the gym. So can you if you're ice skating. So can you if you're running. Uh, yeah, yeah. So can you if you're running up and down the stairs of your house, taking a dish out of the dishwasher, um, painting, you could could hurt your shoulder. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's like a movement thing. And you, anytime you're going to move, you could hurt yourself. I told this story maybe on this podcast one time about the guy who went through the window at Yoga Vita in New York. (laughs) Well, um, uh, uh, Ilaria Baldwin was teaching. Do you ever hear that story? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a huge lawsuit. You know, Alex Baldwin's wife is a yes. yoga teacher. Yeah, yeah. She oh, he, what did he do? Headstand and he fell through the window with his feet? Oh, it was insane. What we were doing at the time was like... Were you in the room? I wasn't in that class, but I was taking class while like the same week that it was You happening. like headstands. You do them in my class. I love headstands. Yeah. I'm not very good at them, but I love them. I've and seen you do them at the old... You, you've... You did it at the end or whatever, like you wanted to do it. The, uh, I don't even teach. I mean, like I, I don't. I just offer if people want it. I don't teach it in a regular vinyasa class. That yeah. needs to be a workshop, and I don't think it's an appropriate moment f- for people to do that. I think that's where I think I draw the line because, um, in terms of what you want to call hurt, I'm not so. Uh, the neck, mm. the neck is a whole different world. Yeah. The neck, an injury to the neck versus like, okay, injured your knee or your ankle or your shoulder or something. I mean, those little, no, I'm not trying to categorize it, but this could actually be, you could paralyze yourself. For sure. But if you regularly practice it, don't you think that you're going to have stronger neck muscles, better head Sure. I just think that people need to like, people in a regular class, there's just too much going on. I think if the class is smaller, like so, say you have a day where you have, you know, not, not as high of attendance and you have a good group that you know is really open, that's part of the reading the room as the teacher and then taking some time to teach it in the, in the class at the end and really focus and like have some room between people and stuff. I think when you're in the classes where they're overcrowded at times or they're, and I want to say filled to capacity because we won't go past our capacity that we've set, but crowded and lots of different energy levels and different levels of students in the room and it's warm and people in the room that you haven't practiced with at all yet sometimes you you don't need to do that it's incredibly intimidating to be practicing next to somebody whose practice is way beyond yours way more advanced and you you feel like that's the problem what that's a problem that we have in terms of our business in terms of um where people will be discouraged and not come back. And I think that the issue with that is that the truth with yoga is like anything that you do is kind of actually being in the room with others, doing it at different levels is actually good for you because it helps you learn. And so it it just does. Like the being in the community and having this, like you're watching them, you're watching the teacher, everyone's moving together. It helps you learn. I mean, you could essentially put on a DVD and follow along with it at home if you felt, you know, that that's not. But I think being around other people helps you learn better. 
Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I've learned so much from watching other people do yoga, from being in the room. I think like Jiva Mukti was like the the stereotypical example of that where Loved they it. have us practice facing each other. So half the room faces that's in, that's the other sh- half faces that's in. Ashtanga. I guess that's where they get it yeah. from. It was a heavily Ashtanga based practice, but that yeah. was how they were doing those classes. That's yeah, an that's- interesting thing. I tried that once like when configuring um well, I remember I was working for another yoga studio for a while and I was a manager there. And one time we were discussing that, like in terms of like protocol for the studios and whether we were going to have people face each other. And then we were like, this will be really cool. And we tried it. And so we were like, okay, everybody, you see if you want to set up your classes like this, told the teachers. And then I went in to do it and I did it in my class. And I did it for like three times, three weeks in a row. And I hated it. I was literally like, as a teacher, it was extremely stressful for me because there was a lot of students that were misinterpreting their rights and lefts based on, and then even, and then it was harder to model and it was strange to have yourself like in the center and be like surrounded like that for me. Yeah. I was like, this is like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable. I don't know. It was a weird vibe. And I was like, I don't like this. What about the stage? Sometimes you see that. Oh, my God. We had one at this one place I taught, and I hated it. It was so bad, weird. Right? Yeah, I learned that. As a we DJ. got rid of it. I, I complained. We all, we, it was actually all of everybody. It was another idea that we all had collectively. It wasn't like somebody was like, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying I agreed to that. I was like, this will be cool. We should do this. And, like, you, it's just things you see and you try and you learn and you're like, nah. Yeah. You there, know? There was... Um, Somebody recently on Twitter who was talking about how the stage has ruined dance floor culture. How, you know, when when you put the DJ up on too high of a booth, oh, right. and everybody keeps on looking at them and trying to take pictures instead of dancing, and and it makes perfect sense. You know, the uh, the college DJ of that I was was always trying to get higher and higher. You know, really? So, yeah. Th- Why? Because I was obnoxious and I wanted to be the star. Oh, yeah, it was ego, 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 feed me. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. The yoga teacher ego Bring is me a up big, higher, it, higher, higher. There's a lot, a lot of that in yoga, a lot, a lot. Which is, it's, it's interesting, right? Like the whole idea is supposed to be kill the ego and then you go on Instagram and. I think it draws not, in, including myself, I think it draws in um, very creative people. I think it draws in. Um, it's a performance-based thing, so in many ways, I think it draws in some level of, I don't want to say, like, actors, but that type of, like, people, theater, acting, can performance-based people, dancers, gymnasts, um, creative-type public speakers, teachers. You know, thinking about teachers, think about teachers as you're growing up, like, no matter what subjects, there were always some certain ones that were characters. You know, you're like, I can think of some in my time that were almost like celebrities in the school yeah. because like, they're like, you gotta get that guy's class. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, <laughs> he's so, why? Because he's entertaining, right? Because he has a certain way that he, he draws you in to listen to him. And so, you know, there's always that, that kind of like energy in a yoga teacher most people prefer yoga teachers that, you know, the, that the experience that was delivered was something that was, you know, 
that drew them in. They people don't go back to teachers that are unmemorable or um don't evoke an an experience in in them in some way is what I think. I think you go back to the you'll because anytime you go to a yoga studio, you're gonna go to classes in different yoga studios, right? And you'll find like that you gravitate, like you'll be like, I like that teacher's pretty good. I also like that that class. I don't know. I really liked it that day. I like that teacher. Like I like that time. I like teacher. I liked everything about that. It was good. I feel comfortable in that class. I like the way the flow was. I liked what they did, you know? So then you tend to be like, once you've done something, you liked it and you know, your experience was valuable and worthy. You know, that it's something that you can count on to be that way. Then you'll go back to it. Do you think that things are going to shift to people just practicing at home? And No, 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 not at all. I don't think so. Have, I mean, what was the experience during COVID being a Oh my God. Was... You had the studios before 2019? And yes. So you had to experience Just one, whole... just one. I actually opened the second one. Uh, during the pandemic? Yeah. So what was it like here in Pittsburgh? I mean, I keep on asking people, but you know, I wasn't here, so I don't, I didn't get Crazy. to experience life in Pittsburgh during the pandemic. I um, got here. I think we had, where were six you? Six months ago. It was in Charleston. Okay. So you really had it much better. But we had it much better than some places too. So I would say we were not like you, but we weren't like other places. I know that like, for example, teachers, like my teachers from other cities like Washington, D.C. and Los Angeles and stuff, they're ones that had brick and mortar studios. Like they were not able to open. They were doing that for way longer than I was. They were actually sending me messages and stuff like regarding like being like, shh you know, like, oh my God, you're so lucky to be open. And oh my God, you don't have to do this. And you don't have to do that. It was, it was crazy. I, I think it was, um, I had a very real, um, nervous breakdown, I will say. And I'm, and it's not because like, I understand that so many people went through so much and I understand that it's not the end of the world to lose your yoga studio, but where I was in this certain place in my life was I had been divorced for the second time and I hadn't lived on my own for a very long time, like in a small apartment by myself. I had been a yoga teacher living paycheck to paycheck because my divorce was not financially settled at all. And so I needed to like, I became an entrepreneur out of necessity because at that point in my life, I did not want, I did not want to go back to what I had been trained to do, like the journalism, the, the yeah. TV stuff, and I journalism, and I didn't want. Was to, it KDKA or no? Yeah, I did both KDKA and WTA, and then uh, I didn't want to go back into that because I knew that I had been out of it so long that the industry had shifted and I felt like, I don't know, I just felt like I couldn't pick up where I left off and I felt that the the hours in that almost killed me anyways. And then I also had, you know, been in it when there was certain plane crashes like Flight, flight 423 and um, some bit, things that had happened when I was in the news business, like the OJ trial and different things that like, had consumed me. So I don't know. In what any was case, that flight? I uh flight 423 in Pittsburgh, it was a it was a bad 
uh, crash and, um, yeah, the, I, I don't really even remember all the details. I'm blurting it out with like literally nine eleven right now yeah, in my mind. I, I know but United 93 is a big deal in Shanksville. I definitely have patients oh, yeah, no, come no, no, and see me that yeah. live near there. No, we should, Google, Somerset, right? we should Google it. I'm going to Google yeah, it. Yeah, go for it. I'm going to Google it while Somerset. we're talking so I can give you the proper. But this yeah, well, thing, I didn't leave the news business for 48 hours um, when I, when this happened. Okay, let me look I it up. I love those frames. Do you like them? People oh, yeah. think they look like Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, I have a pair. I have a Dahmer pair uh, too. But oh, on do women, you? It, it doesn't do that. On, oh, you don't think? On men, it, it does. You think? Oh, yeah. There's like no female serial killers. There's like one, and 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 she has a movie about her, and it's amazing. It's so, like my favorite movie. Um, this was Flight Four Point Three. You know oh what my I'm talking God. about? Shirley's there in Monster. I do. Unbelievable. She, she she was so ugly in that. <laughs> like literally, I was like, oh. That's acting. We don't allow people to act anymore. Now, in order to be a killer, you actually have to be a killer. In order to be, uh, you know. Uh, a bird you have to actually be a bird it's they don't let people play roles anymore right you know but she i really found did it. it it was not I she just... was not ugly but she made it happen oh that was that was crazy that actually that movie makes me nauseous it's when intense. i think about it you know like i watched i think i watched it twice yeah but i think it's nauseating like actually i would never right now i would never want to see that again the i'm over energy right like that oh, like the was, reason i couldn't was... watch the Dahmer flick i didn't watch the dharma I'm an thing em, i'm an empath i suck up energy really really i didn't easily. watch the dharma thing either and everybody's like yeah watch it and i'm like i can't i can't do stuff like that mm -mm. i can't read i can't i don't it watch hurts true, me. i don't listen to true crime mm -mm. i don't watch true crime and it's intentional and for people like you that do energy work that touch people for a living like absolutely but i feel the same way as a doctor i'm touching people i'm putting my energy into their bodies i'm transferring it and if i'm taking in negative stuff like that that's not good for my patients. See, I don't, I, it's not good for me. Right, that's true. I mean, I guess if you're in... I don't like to even compare myself to a doctor, though, in any way. I mean, I think Why? that's odd that people do that sometimes. Like, with... Well, I mean, like, a yoga teacher, it's it's a very... It's a service. It's a service. It's a... It's the... What you do is you provide a service. You're providing a service slash performance service so it's like you're doing something performing something guiding people through something for them to have an experience and so that's really really cool but i don't think that it is necessarily like i don't have any notion that i have like any i don't know it's you, not you don't know that you heal people you don't know that you help people live better lives I think they do. I think they. I think they they heal themselves through what you through an experience that you bring. I don't think that. I think that that's like weird. I don't know that I could like feel that way about it. It's really. I think like when you start when you like for me when people say things like that, I think that I get wow, that's pretty intense. It's almost like too intense for me to handle. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You're a community leader. That's how. That's another similarity. There's an expectation that you're living a moral life. That you're a you're a guide for people. I think that's scary. Of course, it's it's responsibility. 
That's yeah. That's what life's about. I mean, do you think that though we have to like? I mean, I feel like, you know, I think a lot of yoga teachers in general. I think a lot of yoga people. I mean, I'll I'm gonna go out on a limb and say this. I think a lot are broken. I think there's a lot of broken people in that industry. I was gonna I, ask you about the documentary, right? I mean, that was the big one. Was on what? um, uh, Bikram. Yeah, Bikram. Yeah, well, that's a completely terrifying. Diff- I mean, it's terrifying, but I think you could see some of the draw towards him, I guess. Um, but the Ashtanga community is similar, right? It was like Patabi or whoever. They're all was- like that. I mean, I never came into that. The, the yoga that I did, I never did Ashtanga. I never did Bikram. I've never followed any of those gurus, never followed, like, I never did Baptiste yoga, nothing like that. Rocket, that's the other Never did Rocket. Rocket. Like, I don't do these, like, big things i like i will say i will give so much credit to uh the owner of yoga flow for her ability to create just like a a style of yoga that was just um i I don't know that she created it or not i I think for me she was the first person that i saw as doing creative yoga in our city Hmm. um what's her name her name is dominique panko panko yeah. Do you know her? No. no. Who did she learn from? Like, what's the lineage? Uh, well, interestingly enough, she she was taught Baptiste yoga, <laughs> and she learned from one of the other main franchise yoga studios in Pittsburgh, Amazing Yoga. Yeah. I've but she veered off and did her own thing. And, like, so she had that background, but she kind of just, like, did her own thing with it. And I think that, like, I was drawn to that. So my initial introduction, so my teachers that I was talking about, like, in the little squirrel hill that we were comparing that older woman, she also did her own thing. There was no style that she wasn't subscribing to any kind of, like, this is what we do. She was, like, you could tell she was, I don't want to say making it up as she goes, but she was just providing, like, what felt right to her and, like, what she liked. And she created you would come to her classes and like she had a method to it. Like we're going to do this first and then we're going to do that second. And then like, we're going to build off of it and then we're going to bring it here. And like, it was like the way she would do things and she had her style and like, it was hers. And it wasn't like any specific, like this is a shtanga. This is anything like that. You know what I mean? Like it was just her thing. So like people will be like, I do yoga. Like when I got involved in yoga studios, I didn't know there was any kinds. I didn't even know. I'd been doing yoga for like, from like the early 90s until the early 2000s. So it's like 10 years of yoga that was never subscribed to any kind of like whatever. Just like literally yoga community centers and in, in, you know, prenatal and things like that. Like I had never done studio yoga or known that there was anything. When I went into teacher training, I didn't even know there were yoga sutras. I didn't even know there was anything about anything. Like, What, what are the sutras? Uh, the yoga sutras are how yoga came about, essentially. It was a, um, it's a book of 196 aphorisms that, uh, aphorisms meaning threads, like, so little not one sentence, but like little sections um, where they talk about how, you know, what, what is yoga and how to, how to do it, achieve it, and for what purpose. Who, who wrote it? Patanjali. 
some sage. This is like the original. This is the beginning. Yeah. And then from there, Patabi Joyce and. Well, uh, actually, it's well before Patabi Joyce. So okay. what ends up happening is there's a man named Krishna Makarya, and go. he's in um, India, in Mysore, India. And he's doing things out on the streets, and I think with people that he knew, he had put himself. He was he was doing motions and movements and kind of like doing these kinds of things with breath. He put himself in a cave at one point, they say for maybe seven years or something, and he like mastered all these posture postures. Um, and he did them based on they came from the fact of like uh, people had observed animals, Tibetan monks had observed animals out in the woods. And they had also come to this place of realization of enlightenment by, you know, removing the ego and going to these different places. And while they were meditating and seated, they realized that the mind was constantly busy discerning, like, my left hip, oh, there's an itch, oh, you know, like labeling, 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 and not being able to sit, oh, now I have gas, oh, now I have to fart, like, oh, now my nose itches, you know, like, just noticing how you don't unable to like transcend. And so they started to like, you know, observe the way that animals moved and they started to do stretches. Like that's why everything's named after animals and wolves and the woods stretching is down dog. And like, you know, kind of just doing that, observing animals and meditating and the postures grew out of that. And then they started to have like, initially it took on, it was like circus tricks where these peddlers would be on the streets doing weird things with their body to, for like, literally like tips just like you see anywhere where people are doing like you know it was like circus tricks yeah. it actually started as circus tricks and people circus tricks in india albeit but circus tricks and so this guy he knew how to do that and he also knew about uh he also knew about the yoga sutras he also knew um how to move his body and he had been been doing things the the king Maharaja. Hang on. I got to I got to bring up three things okay. so that we can connect these threads otherwise I'll lose them. Okay. So, first of all, why as the king of species, the smartest animal with all of the intelligence, do we have to look at the other animals in order to figure out how to move our bodies comfortably? I think it was just they were meditating and they were observing yeah. it, but yes. It's like a rhetorical question. You no, know but it saying? is. Like, I agree with you. Like, like, I mean, that's interesting that we looked towards the animals, but. Because they don't have because all we, this ego, right? All this like super ego and all of this. No, they just feel. They live in the present moment. Id. It's like all id. Yeah. Which sometimes we need. I mean, there are animals that have feelings. I believe they do, but they, they definitely are not as driven by their feelings as they are by their instincts and by their ability to be in the present moment. They're not thinking about what happened four days ago. Yeah. And when you're able, <laughs> they're to, not, yeah. I just don't believe they are, but maybe they are. I don't know. No, no scientist. No, definitely. I mean, I think you can get to that place with different substance and compound. Yeah. And for example, you'll get into your car and and just feel how uncomfortable the settings are. You're like, yeah. I've been driving around for three months with my seat all wrong. Like, yeah. and I never noticed it because I never was in this state of mind that I need to be in in order to like feel right. Feel so right in your body. Yeah. yeah. So that's number one. Number two is um, 
why are we doing circus tricks? So if the original yoga was just to impress people, did we get rid of all those postures? So did I we think keep there was the this thing going on was that like this, these people were doing that and then there were these sages. It, it came down to this. This guy had these kids, royal princes, and they were rambunctious and he needed them to get a, a discipline. So he hired one of the circus tricked Indian guys Krishna Makarya yeah. to train them. Oh, that's cool. And that's where Ashtanga yoga is born. Huh. Because so yoga comes from literally, as people like sit here and argue about how we've westernized it into this physical thing, it, it was physical. It was a discipline. Well, well the initial kids. yoga written in the Yoga Sutras is not physical, but when Krishna Makarya, an Indian man, brings it to the palace, to the boys, he's doing it purely physically. He's bringing it there because he's he's charged by the king to train his sons or, or cousins and royal, all the royal teenage boys. So it's made for men, number one, for men's physical body. That's why there was so much arm balancing initially and so many chaturangas because that's it was upper body strength. And men have a... They're, if men doing arm balancing in Ashtanga yoga, like when I do my arm balance workshop on Saturday, any men in the class, like my ability to get them into the poses will be higher than the women in the class. And I, I mean, I'm as much as I, I can do it because I've trained myself to do it, but men have an upper hand in, in arm balancing. So anyways, that's where it comes from. He's, he makes it because that's where it comes from. And then in a so they begin to call that yoga. and then. His, it, he had, um, uh, like, so, so it went from Christian Macharya to, to three people to one of them's like light on yoga. So Who, what's but, his name? Uh, Ayengar's his brother-in-law. Yep. So yes, Ayengar. Ayengar's his brother-in-law. He's married to, um, uh, Krishna Macharya's sister and it, and then there's TKV Deskachar, who is his son. And then Patabi Joyce is his student. He's the student of Krishnamakarya. And also the woman who brought pretty much was one of the people that brought the style of yoga that we do today or, or the glamorized version of yoga that we do in the West today, which is um, Indra Devi. So she was the woman who sought to be taught by Krishnamakarya. She was a Russian actress turned Bollywood star who married a Czechoslovakian diplomat who was running in the circles of, you know, hanging out in those circles in India and the, the ambassador to Czechoslovakia became her husband. She ends up meeting Krishna Makarya. She's not feeling well in her body. She hears that yoga can heal you. And she asks him to train her and he tells her no, because she's a woman and they get in this fight, but ultimately she uses her channels. She uses her resources of having her husband know the king to tell, to force him to train her. So she finds a way. And I mean, I don't know what you think about that, but that's what she did. And then he has, he was forced to train her. He tries to break her basically by like making her get up at four in the morning. She's not allowed to take anything but cold baths. She has to eat only austere foods, no sugar, no whatever. Isn't that still what they do in Mysore? Yeah. And she basically <laughs> like does it. Feels great. It heals her heart condition. 
Whoa. And she get, becomes on the path of doing this. She then opens up a school in Shanghai. She then eventually moves to the United States and goes to Los Angeles. And that's where she makes the yoga studios that Greta Garbo and Marilyn Monroe and all the pictures you see of Marilyn and her bow pose and her white swimsuit and stuff like that. That was Indra Devi. And then she creates a ret- retreats in Mexico and wellness things. And she's friends with Elizabeth Arden and the cosmetics and the skincare. And then she combines them into yoga and health and well-being and women. And that's where it starts to take hold. And that's like in the, uh, I think in the 60s. Early, yeah, in the late 50s, early 60s. But we had to wait until spandex was developed to really see things take off. That's the thing. I didn't, we didn't wear spandex. When I started doing yoga, you wore sweatpants. Like literally. There was no, I wore like literally when I think about all my yoga outfits until like the early 2000s, there was no, there were no such yoga pants until like maybe late 90s, early 2000s. Are you making any clothes or do you have deals? No, deals no, 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 no. I just buy stuff. Th- at, yeah, we do. But studio, that's just but like. Just like printed. Uh, We sell our own merch. Like we got it. You can, you can make nowadays. Anybody can design make designs and put them on t-shirts you just have to get a t-shirt company to print them so we do that but um we don't make any any like we don't design actual anything except the logo or whatever we're putting on the shirt we design that piece but not the actual clothing home lounge the home lounge yeah respect the last piece that i wanted to tie up was the the plane crash you were going to tell me the story you looked it up i did it was, I misspoke it, so we got to correct that. It was flight 427, not 423. I got that confused. But, yeah, it crashed in Hopewell Township in 1994. Um, killed everybody on board. Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, it was scheduled from Chicago with a stopover in Pittsburgh to Palm Beach. Oh, my God. And it crashed approaching the runway. Yeah. How many people? All 132 people on board were killed. It was the deadliest air disaster in Pennsylvania's history. The aircraft's rudder malfunction went hard in the opposite. So I was actually in the news business that working on the desk and in producing at the time. And um, so we got called in. And in those days, like, I don't know, like, we just, we were there for, I, I honestly think I worked for 23 to 4 hours straight. Like, just like, in terms of like the coverage that was going on. Um, Where is this? Hopewell Township. North, south, east, west? North, west. North Hills or so? Northwest, yeah. North, yeah. North Hills. I don't know, but yeah. I've been working in the North Hills this week. Yeah, it's in, in North Granbury Hills. And, and, um, oh, really? At Passivant. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know where that is. I've, I've, McC- I've been to Cranberry twice. Yeah. I don't go out there much. Yeah, me neither. It's, it's all far. To me. Yeah, it's a hike. But it's it's been really cool. The there's actually some really interesting people who live up there, and I've had some gotten to meet some really really cool families. Do you like the South Hills? I like living here. It was like the only affordable place we could find land. You know, I I wanted my kid to have a backyard somewhere he could run around and, you know, that's a really good point. Dig in the affordable dirt. place we could have land. That's it. I mean, well, in the city because you could have affordable land out like far away from the city. Yeah. 
but I don't know how you feel about not living in a city. 15 minutes to work for me was, was crucial. You yeah. Know, the big problem is, you know, and, and, and so. But you, see, I like that you said that. Like, you're basically like, you know, this is where my barometer is. Yeah, I know. I, I know people that have driven, I'm not kidding you, two hours to work and back. And I'm like, who the fuck does that? My dad. So pardon me if you my, did it. My but. dad drives two hours every day. Oh, really? Your yeah. dad? I know. He lives in Ipsy and he works in Detroit. And he, he drives an hour to and from work. I could never do it. I mean, there's no, not enough podcasts in the world. I'm helping. I'm helping make it make it doable. <laughs> we are. We're, I we're just don't. I live, I live um, seven minutes from either of my studios. I'm you walk, directly smacked ride up. Your bike? No, I drive. I drive. I mean, I get carpools a lot. But yeah, oh, no. Cool. I don't have a bike. I do want one. I think that would be good. Yeah, I get ride, a fixed gear. Don't I you only live in, ride East, bikes you live in when the East I'm at, End, right? Yeah, I only ride bikes at the beach. I don't know why I don't ride bikes here. I used to okay. ride bikes when, like, you know, when you're raising kids and doing all the things. I mean, we did. I just don't have a bike right now. I don't walk because, to be honest, um, well, for a portion of the year, we're in not good weather, and I, I can't handle that weather. The, the, the nine months of, of crap weather in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I can't handle it. I'm, I hate rain. Rain I hate more than anything. Rain I hate. Rain I hate more than cold. Rain I hate. You, you should move to Santa Fe or New Mexico. I hate rain. Somewhere where it doesn't rain, right? Oh, God, I do need Perfect weather on the, on like the plateau. I forget what they call it. It's, it's not a plateau. It's a, it's, it's a, it's elevated. Yeah, what is that? And then there's like a. But you're just like it's just that nice air that's beautiful and sunny and maybe some chilliness at times and yep. stuff. Like that's what I that's what I thrive in. Yeah. I also do like the beach. I just don't like I would think I would like rain more if I was in a more tropical area. I think rain in a city such as Pittsburgh is really quite depressing. Have you ever lived anywhere else? No. No, yeah, I did. I lived in Columbus, Ohio. That's not somewhere else. I mean, that's what I mean. So, yeah. But I mean, Directly from Pittsburgh, no, that's the only city I've ever lived in otherwise. Yeah. And I think that it's the biggest regret of my life. But I, I don't say that because I don't love Pittsburgh. I do. I think I just had so many ideas about places I would love to explore and do and see. And I really just got really caught up in being like a very chained to what I do type of person. You know, like whatever thing I'm in. You know, like, I'm, I was never really, like, that mobile, you know? Like, I went straight out of, like, college into work and, like, right here in Pittsburgh, you know? And, like, I was in – everything I did was chained to, like, basically the job that I'm in. That's how I've lived my life. You know what I mean? No, some people are just like, I don't want to do this, and I want to go live somewhere, and then I'll figure out what I'm going to do. I've never done that. Never. I've never done that. I've been – always living my life based on what my occupation or like livelihood and or phase of life is so even in terms of like motherhood right where kids are they're going to school they're doing this they're doing that like you're all stuck in it you know like it starts to be like a, this is what we're stuck in it's just kids have like all their fr like when they're little, you can move them around and stuff. But like once they get stuck into that whole world, like from like late elementary school on, I'd say I'm gonna say like fifth, sixth grade on, they're like that's it. 
Like, I mean, if you move them, then you're like that parent. <laughs> like, move takes Ooh. makes their kid be the new kid and shit. Well, I definitely experienced that. <laughs> did yeah. you as oh, a kid? Yeah. yeah, I did once. My parents got divorced and I had to move, and it was tough. You had to switch high schools, or no? Schools? I switched. Um, I moved in middle into no, no fifth grade, fifth grade. So you did K through eight or K through five one place and then six through eighth or something. That's like pretty standard though, because that's middle school, right? Well, no, I went in. So my fifth grade was the last year of elementary school. Yeah. Because in Pittsburgh, sixth grade becomes middle school. Yeah, yeah. So I actually missed. I went from my you know kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth grade, and then I went into. Okay, so you swapped in fifth. Yeah. You missed the last year of experience with your with your elementary school. Yeah, and then I went in. It was kind of nice so that I got the one elementary year in before we headed to middle school, so I got more comfortable with people. I didn't. I don't think I got into the right uh, friend group back then. I like know for a fact that I was like I think back on my middle school experience as very high anxiety in terms of like friends and like dealing with myself as a as a tween. I think I was an extremely anxious tween. Oh yeah, I had no idea who I was or who I wanted to be. No, I I felt like I was. A little bit neglected by my family. Oh, really? So I was trying to act out and create narratives about myself that weren't true in order to get attention. I think I did that too. I also think if like I go back in right now and imagine like who did I want to be then and what I thought of myself, I have like distinctly remember seeing myself as being like a Broadway star or a famous author. Like, that's literally was, like, when I'm a tween, I see myself, I'm right, I write in journals all the time, and some of them are, like, half-written fiction novels at the time. Like, I'm, like, I'm a writer, and I'm writing my book, and I'm writing my book all the time, and there's, like, a zillion journals that are just, like, four-chapter books that just go nowhere and get, you know what I mean? Like, there's characters, there's... Is it something that's... I mean, still part of your life? Or you do you do any writing? No, not too much anymore. I feel Generally? like uh not too much anymore. I don't do it anymore. I don't know when I stopped. I think like do you know what? I got happy. <laughs> the art suffers when the when the person doesn't, <laughs> basically. Right? I mean that's kind of the I drill. got fucking happy. Yeah. And I just hey, here's to that. That's awesome. Like in like who I am. Not yeah. to say that I'm happy because I'm not like about a lot of things. Like I'm not happy sometimes. But like I'm saying like I think like my need to like constantly explore my own head kind of yeah. shifted. And like I also became so consumed with creating. Well, I, I became consumed as a mother. Like I actually put an itch. I became consumed as a mom. I got consumed into, like, the, I had stepkids. Um, I got really consumed into it. It was, like, that awful um, suburban, like, literally suburban Real Housewives of Mount Lebanon that I was in. Oh, my God, it was bad. Soccer really, practices. Oh, my God. Yeah, ex-wife, like, and me giving each other Oof. evil eyes. Like, Oof. Yeah, constant, like, weird gossip. Like, our kids being in the school and, like, having to, like... And, like, just all the different parents and different... I I could, I definitely... I, listen, I'm going to tell you what. Not my favorite thing I ever did with my life. Nope. Being being married? Um, being I Being a mom or... No, I liked being a mom. I think, like... 
for me, I liked it when it earlier on. And as the children got more and more complicated and um they also they 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 go in they have they they begin to be their own people and their own life and that's like now you're dealing with a person that lives with you and like is affecting your mental state and you're affecting their mental state and everybody's and they're getting older and older and they're a lot on you like it's a lot like meals dinners activities like it's a lot and it, it's just I mean there's so much fun times in it but I, I'm not gonna lie and sit here and say that I don't find that it was exhausting and like I feel like for me at I, I do better like just I, I'm definitely I need to be by myself a lot yeah I definitely have that as well I've I've do it like I I satisfy that and still try to be a good husband and, and yeah because, I mean and you're in the thick of it right now yeah but I I remember how important it is to have this so I have this like you know activity yeah and I mean I look back on it I have like little cringes like at times where I look back and I'm like oh and I'm wistful like you'll you know I have that but I'm never I'm not a person like you know well I mean, once I was never having any more kids and I, I like basically knew for myself that like I did the experience. I have those, but like I just went over to um, some friends of my uh, boyfriends uh, who have young children and we were, we were having like an afternoon, like seeing their new place and everything. And they got this really cool house and like, they've got two little ones. One's like three or four and one's it's just literally like what same you have dynamic. here literally same <laughs> four and dynamic. four months <laughs> same dynamic yep mm-hmm. actually that's exactly the same dynamic you yeah. should meet them you guys yeah, can be yeah. friends That'd be cool. um and they but they live in like fox chapel or something and yeah. we went over to see their new place and and hang out with the kids and like you know like initially like i'm like hey hi and then like i get like hang out with the kids for a little bit and i realize that like my interest in that is very different now. You know what I mean? Like I re and I also at the same time remember what it feels like. So it's like, you know, the phases go. Like once they get into be like, you know, teenagers and stuff, like you get further and further away from when they were little. It's like really interesting. Like they really become different people. You the way that you interact with them. But you see people. You have to say goodbye to them all the time. Like my son, every time I see him, like it's only for short periods of time. And then it's like, it's, he doesn't live in Pittsburgh. So, you know, those people that all have their family around, that's kind of a cool, I have a lot of friends like that, that all live in like my, one of my best friends, Elizabeth, her whole family is like here and they're all within whatever. And they're always, you know, everybody's always up in each other's whatever's and all that. I was going to ask you about how that, how that played in. So whether that was part of what kept you locked to this region, was it, that your family was here or that your kids that for sure i'm really close with my mom and my sister i mean my sister and i have had our moments where we weren't close but we always have like you know there's definitely something about our experience as sisters where we definitely feel um a strong love for each other and you know always want each other like you know we've had our sister moments but like we're both really close with our mom and i do think like who's older I'm the oldest. I'm considered it's more of the difficult one. It's just the two of you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm considered the difficult one that, like, basically, like, has the most um, bizarro life of everyone. 
my sister's been married for, we're going on like 23, oh no, she's been married for 24 years, 23 years, um, same husband, she has two beautiful kids, she has a pretty much, uh, you know, her road and like what she's done with herself and everything, mine, I've, I've like changed careers numerous times, I've had two marriages, like I've had stepchildren, like I've done some weird careers and things like that. I was a preschool teacher once. That's what salon manager. uh, Grace's mom did. That was interesting. I got really sick. Oh, constant, right? I mean, I'll never forget this one sickness I had. Like, I thought I was going to die. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that that's why I never got COVID, though. Is I think (laughs) that my, I was thinking about it and I was like, I never got fucking COVID. Super soldiers. And I feel that my experience as being a preschool teacher for three years of my life. Yeah. Yeah. basically immunized me to any disease that you could throw at me. I yeah. have like a super immune system because I believe that those little kids all carried coronaviruses like basically or yeah. whatever. Like somehow or another, my, my immune system got like some ability to like fight that off because I know I nearly de- I can still see myself in this like one really old tile bathroom where I was living in um, shady side East Liberty area. And I'm like, you know, in my early 20s, I'm a preschool teacher and I'm crawling on this like tile that the grout's not so great. And like, I'm like sick to my stomach, but I'm so sick that I'm laying my, my, my whole head on the grimy tile and it's like pink and mint green and orange or something. And it's like, I'm laying on it and I can still see like the filthy mold and, but I'm like so sick. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, the sickest I got recently in recent history was my 30th birthday trip to Europe by myself. Kind of like what you were talking about, how you know you have to be by yourself sometimes. Yeah. I just did it. I said, look, I'm going, I'm going to do this. And I spent two weeks in Europe. I didn't stay in a hotel for a single day. That's a fantastic thing. I was in Munich with friends, like my best German Were you worried that I I need to ask you this before you say anything else. Were you worried that if you did that, that you would miss, like, sharing it with somebody? Um, like that you would be there and be like, damn, I wish you were here or something. Or did you, were you together no, at the time? I was, or I was with my best friend, the oh. one person who's never truly let me down. Okay. So you weren't Isaac completely. Coulter. Oh, you were. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. Oh my God. You really, that's funny. What I like that. And, um, that's going to be my new mantra. Yeah. Yeah, I had to go, you know, I had to, I had to do it because I'd never been to Paris. I was turning 30. I'd never been to Paris. I'd never been to London. I'd never been to Berlin. And the goal was to hit all three. I didn't make it to Berlin. I didn't have anywhere to stay for free. And I, my, the other rule was no hotels, no hotels, no hostels. So friends and family the whole way. And well, lucky for you that you had friends and family there. Who the fuck has friends and family in Paris and London? This, this, this uh, guy, Jewish this Jewish boy, <laughs> I was I was staying with my my Jewish cousins in the twelfth arrondissement in Paris, and they also have a place in Nice, also, which is oh my god, you brat! Yeah, it's gonna be sick someday. But um, the point of the story, the reason I brought it up, is because it was like the sickest I've I've ever been, one of the sickest I've ever been on the plane flight home. So like my last day, I was staying in the Maisonette flat in my cousin's bed. I'm so sorry, Charles, dude. This is this was one of the worst things I ever did, and I was so sick. I was just like there's just blood coming out of my head like bloody secretions 
So I fucked up his bed bad. And then... What do you mean the, blood coming out of your head? Like, I had, like, hemoptysis. Like, it like was, pouring out of your head? I had nosebleeds, epistaxis, so nosebleeds, and then also, like, blood, oh. bloody mucus. It was, like, a terrible pneumonia, basically. Oh, my God. So I, I got on the plane flight, and I had, like, you know, big tissues stuck up my nose to try to prevent any more problems. But at one point, it just, like, started going, and the lady sitting next to me loses it. She just starts yelling for the stewardess. She's like, get this fucking guy out of here. <laughs> I felt so bad. Oh, my God. I had to, like, stand up and ride with the stewardesses in the back of the flight, like, in the back of the plane for the rest of the flight, basically. Holy shit. Yeah, I was messed up. That's insane. Yeah. I had a really bad nosebleed. Um, it was, like... Okay, so in 20, like uh, the summer of 2020. Yeah. Okay, so my yoga yeah. studio was closed. That was like the same year. That was, the, that was when I went. Oh, really? Was, yeah. That's weird. You had a bad nosebleed. I had a bad nosebleed. Weird. I used to get them all the time. I had to get it cauterized in, when I lived in New York. They wouldn't the cauterize me because they, they were like, no. But I, it, they, it took them five hours to get it to stop. I was bleeding so bad that I actually had to sleep for an entire day Jesus. after because I was like, I can't even, I, I couldn't even keep my head up. Oh, I'm about to give so, some, some medical advice on the podcast. So a lot of people think you have to just like tilt your head back. You but of should course, not. Yeah, you don't do that because then you aspirate the blood and then that's no good. And you can also taste it in the back of your throat. Exactly. It's disgusting. Yeah, no, no bueno. But what you do is you pinch the nose because all of the vasculature in the nose runs medially. So it yeah. runs along the nasal bone there's an instagram picture of me i posted during this ordeal of mine <laughs> this hospitalization oh jesus and wait you went to the hospital it was so bad oh uh, yeah wow. i it was that bad so i was literally in my bed do you know what the number one cause of of nosebleed is epistaxis i told a patient this the other day and i don't well, think my attending what do you think it is i i, I it is. is it a deviated septum no okay. it's funnier than that what is it nose picking Okay, I'm not going to even say anything right now because I might have done that. And you can say what you want about me, but I'm going to show you the picture of me. Oh, no, you've got pictures? This is no, going to look like Andrew I WK? I grammed it. Do you know Andrew WK? Who's Andrew WK? Oh, he was huge at PTS when I got here. I think he's actually from Ann Arbor, Michigan, but he was the... When it's time to party, we will always party hard. The one, do you know at the Penguins games after we score the song that we play? Uh, what is it? It's called Party Hard by Andrew WK. Oh, I don't know that. Here I am. Well, the cover of his album is him. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you got a nose job. It's not a big deal. You're Jewish. It's a rite of passage. I, don't, I did not. <laughs> That's them putting that on my nose, and there's a clip. Wait, Do you see the clip? Show the people. Hold it up. Hold it up here. Oh, wait, where? Yeah, there? The is camera. that? Wait. Oh, I thought that was the camera. Yeah, I didn't... No, you were turned the wrong way the whole time. <laughs> I thought that was the camera. No. Wait, angle your body more towards this. Okay. Yeah. Here. We got it. We got it. We got, got it. it. We got okay. It. Yeah, it's a mess. yeah, that's me. Well, I said, but just follow her on oh, wait, Instagram I did and then it. you can see I more pictures. I did it like in that. live time. 4.41 a.m. Jesus. How did Woke they... up at 1 a.m. with a severe nosebleed out of nowhere and tried desperately to stop the bleeding. No one was awake in my house. But oh, after God. an hour and two rolls of TP, <laughs> I had to wake up the boyfriend looking like a grisly murder scene and try to have him help me. After many futile attempts, we realized this was not normal. And over four hours later, Dr. Hickey at West Penn ER finally stopped uh, it. Thanks, Dr. Hickey. 
Now I'm officially exhausted and very much hope this does not happen again. Anyone else have a serious nosebleed like this? And then all these people were like answering yes. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. My sister was like, you're giving me PTSD from this post. (laughs) But that's what happened. And then weirdly enough, um, it, you know, and I went in and uh, my mom had a nosebleed that summer too. That was really, really bad. Hmm. And so we thought it was like something like genetic or whatever, but it just wouldn't stop. So thank you, doctor. I won't pick my nose anymore. <laughs> I get, here's what I think happens with me, to be honest. I have a deviated septum since yeah. I was a kid. Yeah, and what happens is one side gets really dry. And so there'll usually be this, like, I can feel it when it's there. It's just like a buildup and like just needs to come out. Do you, Sometimes it rips the skin with it. Are you team? Do but you, I've never had it not for it to stop. Are you team? De- I have a deviated septum, and your pranayama is annoying as hell, like me. Probably that it like it's sounds so hard like, for me. I think like, people don't like to practice by me because I make noises. Like I do that when I teach too. I can't help it when something feels good. I'll be like, mm. <laughs> and I'm like. That's so weird and not good, but yeah. it just, it's literally what's coming out of me. Yeah. I'm not trying to like be gross. I like just, there is that like, I, like I said to you recently, I really love the beginning of class a lot and I feel really like it just, it, it shifts me out of like whatever I'm dealing with or whatever I, you know, it just brings me home or something and I like yeah. it. And so I express myself like that when I'm in the, cl- and that's gross. Noisy moaners and like, loud um breathers but actually i think from the point of view of a yoga teacher i like that when students are like that i like the noisy breezers breathers (laughs) i like the noisy breathers and i like the um and the moaners and and reactors what's the name of the of the breathing that i do where i constrict the back of the nose Ujjayi. Yeah, my Ujjayi breath is, is pretty loud. My breathing is pretty pretty noisy. I don't think the people who practice next to me like it very much, but it helps me. I, I think that you're probably right. The students who practice next to you don't like it, but the teachers like yeah, it. Teachers I like I like have some t- students that really breathe well and they really they really support the energy in the room. You you your teachers like that. I'll tell you what yoga teachers don't like. Yes, get into it. Um is uh when people stare at them at the beginning of class without like like you you don't have to have your eyes closed but like staring at me like I feel like you're not you need to be like meditating you know like kind of just like I don't like when people stare at me like that I don't like when people don't do like when people go into I don't I think modification and like you know moving through and choosing not to do something or how you want to express it is fine but like if you came in to do like an entirely different class and I've seen me, that. Me. <laughs> do you do that? Oh, I can be terrible. I can be awful. I mean, unbelievably bad. No, that really you you're at, the teacher. Total like at that point, though, what I do. I'll just leave. I've been uh, now I'm learning. No, I I just ignore you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like what I'm saying is if you're a new teacher, that is really disconcerting for them. They do not understand. Like at this point, I now understand that I've written you off. I don't care what you do and I'm not teaching to you anymore. Yeah. So you're over there doing that and I can't like I can't you're you know, you're doing that and I have to like 
I still have to guide these people because not everybody wants to self-guide. So they want you to be like right foot, left foot, da, 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 and you're like trying to get, guide them through. And that other person, like I literally, I actually will physically almost like turn my back yeah, away yeah, from I've that person. That. Sometimes if the teacher skips a side, like if they give me pigeon on the right and skip the left, I'll take it and be like, you well, that I think is totally fine. That's if they acceptable. skipped it, yeah. That's the worst if you skip anything. Oh, Fucking up as a yoga teacher is the worst feeling. Like, literally, I have to describe, I do a whole section in my teacher training about, I do a module on the business of yoga and methodology, like, a, like for the performance of it mm. and like what to expect as a yoga teacher and like feelings that come up and how to like deal with like, authenticity imposter syndrome ego um rejection um brutal uh unkindness from people like how to deal with that in in how where to put it based on my experience and then the experience of some other yoga teachers that i have read books from and things that have uh informed me and their experiences of that and i basically say to them that you know you have to um you you just have to realize that it's it's part of the gig. I don't I think it's the worst part of the gig. Some people don't mind it, some people mind it a lot, some people just live with it. Um those people that can't get used to it lead themselves out of teaching yoga. Nowadays with class pass and like social media and stuff, being a yoga teacher can feel really um competitive. It can feel really nasty. Um it can feel very much like uh you know not not the most enjoyable space when you feel like you know there's pressure to to put people well most of them there's pressure to put people in a class based on how many people show up right correct almost all of them like um it's, it's i don't like you just give the teacher 100 bucks every class like it depends so on there are some studios that do flat rates but generally generally when studios do flat rates that flat rate is going to be a lot cheaper because because they can't guarantee they're not gonna because that's scary because if this if the studio is putting out a certain amount of money and you're only got three or four people in your class they're gonna go broke so the flat rate flat rates are usually pretty cheap places to work if you do what i do which is incentive pay plus flat rate because you can't it can't just say like i don't just pay on just who's in the room i give you a stipend of like okay there's an expectation that you're here 30 minutes before and 30 minutes after so that counts for something there's an expectation that you're preparing your class and that you're following the protocol to open and close the studio and interact with the clientele and represent the business kind of a way so for that, you get this much money. And then on top of that, you get a per head basis. And so that can look for students and, I mean, teachers in my studio up to like $65 a class. Um, a bonus for filling the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Up to $45 bonus. They already get, yeah. So it it can be that, but it's like, the reason for that is because the studios have the the studio likely whoever owns the studio is making a livelihood out of it so it's an income for the studio owner as well as uh they have to be able to support the overhead and so 
your job of like, so they are taking on all of the risk. So they take on all of the financial burden. So you come and you teach your yoga class and you get paid. And if you can't put, you know, if you, if, if you, I've done that before I learned my lesson, I had like really made some bad financial decisions like that because it was like giving people a certain amount of money per class and then hoping that the bigger classes would wash out the smaller ones, but you're never going to make any money like that. And to be honest, and you don't have a very healthy business and it's a, it's a, it's a, I think in, uh, not what people really want to talk about in the yoga industry is like the business of yoga because it's mostly thrown around. I think these days on social media, the idea of like, you know, there's these people just kind of everybody's putting themselves out there in postures and tutorials and all these things. And then like spewing stuff about, you know, studios and business as though it's a, it's a negative thing. But in order to have those places to practice, it's, it's a, it's a fact. I mean, it's not, there's no way to have that unless some, somewhere, somehow there's money being put to do that. (laughs) Can you talk about the different like sources of revenue streams? So you have classes, you have teacher trainings, retreats, and then pop-ups. Yeah, that's pretty much it. You have, yep, that's the revenue stream. So right then you have, at this point, you have an online platform too. Mm. Um, so which is which makes money yeah mm-hmm. yeah ours is ours is profitable um <clears throat> so much so that I wouldn't cancel it even though I don't you know it's an extra it's an extra expense and an extra thing that our teachers have to learn and be capable of, of in order to be hired yeah um do they have to wear a mic in order to make yeah it the sound mic right? is actually we use a road mic which is a really nice mic yeah. for yoga teachers but it, it's a wireless cool so it clips like just like like i could literally clip it right here like this and you wouldn't even like whatever and then the other piece is attached to the computer it's only going to the computer Mm -hmm. to the zoom class it's not amplifying their voice in the classroom at all no 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 no. we don't do zoom though we have a different platform because our students really didn't like the little boxes kind of vibed Mm. of teach of so it's more of just like a more kind of professional looking platform that we use so it's like you can watch it and like put it up on your TV or whatever. Cool. Cause one of the things with zoom is that you can't, you can't cast it. What do you mean? You can't cast zoom to a TV. Like, Oh really? Mm-mm. Oh, that's weird. No, zoom does not allow it to be cast. So if you're doing zoom, you're always going to be on a laptop. So if you're doing these other platforms, like we invested in actual software, um, that so I I actually pay for two softwares instead of just one because most of the software companies their their platform that they have for live streaming is run through Zoom even though it's their software they've integrated a Zoom API into their whatever I have that within the software that I use for my scheduling but I don't utilize it because I pay for another platform because I want to utilize it that way because I got the feedback from my students that they re- they really enjoy the casting experience. So like literally get, getting your phone or your laptop, casting it to your flat yeah. screen, putting your mat down, and then the teacher's in the big screen. And that's like, you know, like how you see with like lots of different platforms. And it's just a nicer experience than looking at the teacher through a little. It's definitely the way I've done it. You know, I, um, so 
Francesca, the other teacher that was on the retreat, she teaches for, or at least she did do like Obey Fitness. And so I would take her classes on there, which were, I thought, really great. Uh-huh. But for me, it's all about hands-on, you know? I want, I want, uh, I want hands-on assists. You can't. You want hands-on. Okay, so hands-on assists. We just actually started redoing them because um, what happened was they got taken away from the pandemic. It's mixed, yeah. I mean, because I know that's, it's, we don't, I, when I think about the progression of the pandemic and what people thought, like, think about this. One day I was teaching yoga and there were 40 people in the room. Yep. And I went home and three hours later there was an, a, a, and I was nervous that day too because we had um, been hearing all these kinds of things and we, nobody knew what the fuck to do. And then the next thing you know, there's a notice that, you know, uh, we should, or we might be closing and then the capacity limits and all this stuff. So we put it down, down, down. And then one of the things that came about was everybody was running to target and getting um, antibacterial wipes and, and gels and then putting them in the studio. And then you took all of your block straps and rental mats away. Cause you were like, Oh, you can't touch them and nobody's cleaning. And we took, we have tea at our studio, you know, you've been, yeah, yeah. and we took away the cups um, because we were like, Oh, we have to use. So, in essence, the pandemic in some ways became this very anti-environmental situation because now we were using just like cups, disposable cups that it wipes. Everything was all paper and like it was all about like everything being disposable. And so all the sustainability that we had had at the studio where we weren't using individual rags and things like that, like people were sharing the spray for the mats and sharing things. Think about the masks. Think about the number of masks that have been manufactured and distributed worldwide and what that's going to do to the environment. What it's going to do to the environment. And we were like, I mean, and I mean, I find like, well, so I was a like a, I was like a person that was in denial in the pandemic. Like I literally was like that person that was like so afraid to acknowledge that it was really real so that I could have to acknowledge my feelings about it and acknowledge that I had to like actually live in this world where this was the way that the world was going to be. Mm-hmm. I actually had like, like the last of us vibes or like the handmade vibes or something. I was like that emotional about it. And I had like made, I turned it into like, it's the worst thing in the world. And I couldn't believe that I had just spent all this money that I barely had never made in my life. And then I finally made some money and finally got some kind of like headway back in my return on investment, if you will. Like, you know what I mean? You put all this stuff into something and you're like, basically like, you know, it wasn't about the money, but it was about the fact that, you know, I tried something, I was taking a risk and I put everything I had into it and now it was gone. And so now where do I go? I have to start from scratch. That's, it wasn't like. Did they completely shut the business down for, for a period? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were completely shut down. So we had to trans- transfer everything into online, and that's where I developed that platform. How did it manifest? I mean, you got a, like a letter from the government that said you can't. They, teach they yoga? put it on the news and they said, this comes from the governor, and you may not have a business that's open or teach yoga. Yeah, it was like stead, like law. What? <laughs> you were told so by I, law. I can't. What businesses were allowed to run? Like the grocery store? The grocery store, Target, Walmart, Home Depot, Lowe's, um, 
fast food restaurants. Stop. Um, <laughs> and that's the, it. They shut down yoga, but they kept the fast food places open? Yes. Because you could drive through them. <sighs> you could drive through. They didn't keep them open to go in. How long was it? Sh- how long were you closed? We were shut down for um, a total of four months. What did you do? You running this, running the online, and running the to, online and, and living in like a stupor of like I couldn't believe this was my existence. This is twenty twenty. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I drank a lot. Yeah. I got weird. I was like, I don't know. I started like sitting outside on my deck, just like drinking at two. You were living by yourself. No, I was living with my boyfriend, but he had a job that was unaffected. Is... He he could work from home and make the same paycheck, and and the matter of fact, we got a puppy. And he was so happy because he was like, I would never be able to fucking hang out with this puppy all the time. Like, you know what I mean? And he was like, oh, I'll tell you what pissed him off. Seven. Sports got canceled. <laughs> and then he had to watch fucking YouTube sports. And I kind of laughed because I was like, like my really? My whole my life. I'm, I'm going to tell you what attack. pissed him off. Sports got canceled. Yep. And he had a girlfriend whose business was tanked. Yeah, and yeah, all and she, she did was well. fucking complain. And yeah. he had to listen to that. So he was just literally like, wow. Like, literally, like, I have to be this person. Like, I'm in love with this person, and her business is, like, ruined, and all she does every day is, like, today's a good day. Today's a bad day. Did you have to keep paying rent when the business was closed? Um, so. (laughs) Today's a good day. Today's a bad day. I was allowed to postpone it and, and then work it out with my landlord for, and, uh, I, he he gave me a break initially. Like he said, we're you were cool. Like yeah, and then they, they understood. Like there's no way you can. You I can mean, yeah. It. I mean, he was dealing with that from all of his properties. There's a lot of them. And then um, he was like, I mean, we'll get to it. But like initially, the the initial shock of it. And then he was like, you know, what we ended up doing was I went through a program that would pay him for me. That's what I was going to ask if there was like government assistance. Yeah, he got he got back like maybe 2 months of my rent. Not the whole thing. And yeah. he and he called the other bit a wash, I guess. Once things started back up, did they make you cut the capacity or did they limit you in any way or it was just 4 yeah, months of hell and then back to normal? No, we first well, we went back to normal with the capacity cut by so I was allowed, you know, you've been to the size of my studios. I was only I could have if I'm following the guidelines, I could have 13 people in there because that would be like in terms of like how, how far apart need, people needed to be for comfort level. We opened up like that with temperature checks. I cannot believe that I did that. So people would come in and I'd be like, okay, you didn't have to wear a mask at first because they didn't say that. So they let us come in yeah. and nobody was wearing masks. They didn't say that. And then... um. And we were we were still live streaming to people at home because some people didn't even want to come in. Lots of people didn't want to come in. The amount of money and memberships that were d- just gone was amazing. And then uh, people would come in, and I would you would you would do the temp check. There was a guy that would co- he lived like two three blocks from the studio, and he liked to run to the studio. So he would run, and then he would wait outside for five minutes while his body cooled down. Because remember, this is like summer. In Pittsburgh, so if he ran three blocks in East Liberty in, uh, you know, 85, 90 degrees, he's a guy, then he was hot. 
and he had to wait because the temperature on the temperature check wouldn't like. What do you have to do? Like if he just he would cut he would run and then he would like send him home. You weren't allowed to let them in. I mean that was I don't know what I'm why I think I'm the boss, but yet I what like. Here's the thing: is my private small business. But, like, I just am following these zany rules that everybody's saying to do. I did the same thing with the vaccination. I did all of the things that every... I did it. I put a vaccine vaccine policy. I put that... Well, that wasn't until... They still have it at the That wasn't until the Delta variant. Yeah. The Yoga Hive still has it. I go there sometimes. Oh, do you? We we got rid of ours last... um, We got rid of ours... It's a year now since we got rid of it. So, after... It was last, it's literally one year because it was after last Omicron winter. So not this past winter, but the Omicron winter where everybody like went downhill again. Yeah. That we ended up, when we came out the spring of that, we got rid of it because everything was just like, okay, like then they were starting to make new vaccines again and whatever. So now we're just like, you do you, you practice at your own, you know, if you're not comfortable with it, are you, you don't come back to where you were before pandemic in terms of financials or even better um i would say like you like i don't know that we've ever recouped where we have not recouped what we lost yeah but like if i'm comparatively looking at what i do now in comparison to where i was right before we lost everything like we're at a good level like that but we can't like there's a lot that's underneath us that we can't have back or anything like that. There's or, this big gap. I think about it a lot because I kind of want to start DJing again in Pittsburgh. Like, I think I think it's up now. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's up. But there were a lot of people who were living here who couldn't work and who still feel that like I had. These oh, so they need to income. do it. Yeah. And who am I to show up here? That's and really try to interesting that you think of that like that. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's real. You know, I wasn't here dealing with that with them. And so it's like that Drake line. Where I were mean, you I, when we were shooting in the gym? I think that's really a, a great way of like, that makes you a pretty wonderful person. Because I think that in a lot of cases with a lot of fitness people, yoga studios and other things in general, I think that everybody started to have a panic at some point, like there's only so much to go around and like almost feel like psycho about getting back to where they were and retaining every student they had and you know that's just no that's just no fun I had like you know I could just tell that different businesses and different yoga studios had different rules or like the ways that they were handling things and I you know had people that disagreed with me and I don't I'm the type of person that's like you know I don't want to know what you're doing. I'll do like, I'm going to, I'm going to like, look at the law, use my own mental capacity as well as like what feels right in my gut. All of those things factor in to where my decision will be. And then maybe I have to pivot again and again. Maybe I do something and say something one day. And I think that that's the way that I should be showing up. And then I start to realize that maybe that way is not working or maybe I'm not so, you know, that that was such a fluid situation. I, I could I honestly can't tell you, like, when I think back on, like, the logic of going to a restaurant and wearing a mask to walk from oh, the front, 
to the thing with the hostess and then sit down and take your mask off and put it in your purse, but but then go to the bathroom and put put your mask mask on. And like this whole thing going on and then the waiter or waitress having the mask while you did not, while you're sitting. That always made me feel so uncomfortable. And and it still goes on in different places, you know. The the waiter, the it 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 makes them look like a second class, you know. When you're when you're eating, what do you th- and the servers- what do you think the psychology of so so for me, I think my cultural experience for the mask, <laughs> though I totally understand the relevance of this health and safety r- risk. I mean, I grew up. My fa- my stepfather was a doctor, and yeah. you know, I understand. Like he he ran a vaccine research company. Um, so I understand all of this idea of science of medicine and, and, and illness and disease and like and also being kind to not do that to other people. But psychologically, for me, I had a lot of problem with the mask. Yeah, I was feeling very um, almost like I, I don't even know if this word would like this is what I feel when I think it was making me feel violated and kind of like raped when I, I had it on. I talked to um, so, you know, I was working in hospitals throughout the entire pandemic. Yeah. And um, one of the days I was waiting out front and um, I looked at the person next to me. I looked back. We were all waiting for the bus, everything. You know, we were just waiting to get on the shuttle. And I didn't talk to them because I didn't know who they were. But when I, like, looked back, I realized that it was somebody that I'd been working with for a full year and that we'd never established any kind of relationship because we were just wearing masks and I never like I never saw the person as human enough to like dude I think there there were so many people that came to yoga that had masks on during that time that like I never really knew what they looked like and so when the masks left those that came in without their mask like I had to relearn to like communicate with them and some of them I'd be like and you are and they're like it's Jake or whatever and I'm like oh yeah. And like it was odd. I feel like but this is the thing, wouldn't dentists or doctors tell you like we've worn this like it's it's not like it's not the worst thing in the world. We wear this for our occupations. But I don't think that doctors like I don't recall it being like every doctor had it on all the time. Like certainly during if a person was very sick or during surgeries. Yeah, AGH or, has stopped. So my understanding is AGH stopped, St. Clair stopped. And UPMC but I mean, like, prior to the pandemic, w- no. the way that, I mean, you no. would go in to see your doctor. They didn't have a thing on their face. For communication, it's terrible. You know, imagine what I do. So what I do is I take care of people with dementia and memory disorders for, like, 50% of my work. How and can you talk to them with a mask on? It's so odd. Like, they can't connect. I don't know. The mouth is a very interesting. It's not just the mouth. There's, there's the chin, the mouth, and the nose. Right. And and it's it's half of the face. So it's deep. It's depersonalization. It's dehumanization. And the other thing that I've been thinking about recently is it's. It's taking away sexual characteristics. So I'm not saying that there's a grand conspiracy to make everybody androgynous and to make everybody like not male and not female. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that when you look at somebody with their face covered from the nose down. Absolutely. It can be very challenging to determine their gender and determine yeah. their sex. Yeah. Um, it's, it was, it was, um, which I it was really upsetting bagel. for me. I felt myself to be a, a person on the side of like, um, I really, but I'm not a, I'm not a lawbreaker in the sense that I was like, I, <laughs> I'm not a conspiracy theorist or a yeah. lawbreaker. So this was the way we had to do it. We had to do it, but I struggled with it. 
and I struggled with my feelings about it and I struggled with my dislike of it and I struggled with um, feeling very selfish about that because I didn't like it at all. My job was so difficult with it that I was miserable. Um, I can't believe that for nine months of my life, I taught yoga in a mask and on in front of people, but also on live stream. So if you go back to nine months worth of our videos on demand, and I've just started to tell my manager to go back and take away those videos because nobody needs to look at that anymore. Like we don't even, I don't, who in their right mind is going to go to a yoga platform and look back at the videos from like two years ago. First of all, that's a long way to scroll. But then if you're doing that, let me choose this video where Susanna's a mask on her face the whole time. Yeah. Like, eh. What about our Disney trip where we're all, you know, completely covered up? They wouldn't take our picture with with the masks off. Like, even the professional photos, (laughs) we had to, I mean. Oh, God, so that's your videos? No, those are the photos we Those were the photos from your. Yeah, for the Disney trip. I mean, there's. I've I like actually look back at myself with the masks on like there's plain I have pictures of me on an airplane with like a big N95 and I'm like a big cone let me tell you what happened that was the coolest experience ever so last year for my 50th birthday in April about a year ago right we went I went to Italy and I was nervous about going because I always get nervous for a long I have weird issues with airplanes even though my dad was a pilot and then we were going to Italy and one of the things he's a doctor and a pilot no my stepfather was a doctor and Um, and my dad was a pilot. So going in the plane for that long, I have issues with thinking conceptually about claustrophobia. And then I have issues with the fact that I was going to be in a mask for all that time. So I was Mm. like, oh my God, but this is so worth it. You're going to LA. So you go and you get on, you know, and I'm in there and I'm squeezed in because I don't, you know, I'm not in any first class situation (laughs) and I'm squeezed in and I have this mask on and I have a coat and um, they gave, they brought around wine and cool. I was like, this is great. I'm going to totally pound like free, free wine yeah. on those trips. To Europe. I'm going to pound some red wine, like crazy. And it's going to knock me out. And then I'll wake up and I'll be in Italy and I don't have to think about this because I'm like, anxious right now. Yeah. So I get the red wine and I do the whole thing and I have to set it down for a second. You had to take your N95 off. And take that. Out. The whole thing is whatever. And the trip plane is doing whatever. <laughs> I set it down for one second on my tray. Yeah. And the plane bounces. And the whole wine comes and drenches me, like the whole glass. And she gave me a decent pour. And, uh, and then my whole body, I was covered in red wine and had that red wine stink. Oh, nice. And that was That's the entire, so for 10 hours. <sighs> this was the beginning of the flight. And I was in the middle seat. Yeah. Wow. I was miserable. And then when I got off to go out of the airport, and I'm walking around the airport in Brussels, I smell like a, fr- like a person that was sat at a bar a for 20,000 years. You were a wino. I was a wino. You smelled like a wino. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lush. But anyway, get to Italy, do the whole thing. Italy's real strict over there. They make us do the things with the mask, but then we can walk around. But it's outside all the time, so we're good. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, we hear the day before we're coming back from Italy, President Biden puts down that you don't have to wear masks on airplanes anymore. <laughs> and also, P.S., you don't need a COVID test anymore to yeah. get it back in yeah. or whatever and all these things. And so we're like, hallelujah. We have, we're leaving in 24 hours to go back from Italy to the United yeah. States. And now, so we go to the airport. We have, don't have to deal with any of the stuff we had to deal with on the way there. One week later, and the whole world's different. We go and get on the plane. With, with no, scientific, no scientific rationale <laughs> to, do, to make that decision. That's the key. 
absolutely nothing. That's a very good point. So then that that's the that's the rule now. So we get on the Delta plane, and the flight attendants the no Delta plane Delta variant Delta, Delta plane. Delta. The flight, nobody has masks on at all. Like the flight attendants, pilots, nothing. Yeah. Most of the passengers, you see occasional passengers standing in line like, <laughs> like take it down. But then you have people that are like in the cone, right? Yeah. And you get on a plane and the pa- the flight attendant goes right away with her, her mic and she goes, everyone, based on the United States government or whatever, the oh, federal God. government has declared that we no longer have to wear masks on this airplane. It is yeah. optional. Yeah. And everyone goes, <laughs> like in the plane and she's yeah. like but if you feel like you need a mask or wear a mask that's up to you yeah and so then i'm gonna punish you yeah meanwhile i went to kennywood this weekend they're now banning masks after dark oh because they want to know who does the shootings oh, uh-huh. so it, it does say like you can wear it for your health so if it's a surgical mask or an n95 it's okay but no face coverings otherwise hmm. which is really interesting well, so a criminal could just wear then an n95 sure but things like- <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i gave that idea to any cri- things, to the criminals out there things are coming full Oops. circle right because initially the guy in the bandana in the western was the bad guy right but now if you go into a bank without your face covered well, six months ago a year ago if you go into the bank without your face covered then now you're the bad guy <laughs> it's very interesting I am pretty sure that the children that were born in yeah. between 2020 and 2022 that watch this face covering thing are going to have issues for some. I don't know what the issues are going to be, but I think they're going to be. And I also understand that my dog who was born in that has weirdness with people. Wow. Yeah, he does. And I know there's dogs. All dogs have different personalities and stuff, but he has a strange reaction to people with face masks and with hats. And I'm like, I don't know. I think there was like a, we got him. It was really chilly spring. And there was a lot of hats and face masks walking around Lawrenceville. And like, he just doesn't like it one bit. It scares him. Yeah. I wonder about communication disorders in children, about like rates of autism in particular. I think it's going to be really interesting. And to watch to how that happens. unfolds. Yeah. We're never, I mean, I, I can't believe I lived through it. And I'm glad that it, I'm glad that we are, um, you know, on the other side of it, I dare say. I I fear, I have been completely traumatized in the sense that, like, that was, to me, I think the scariest, those early months of the pandemic were the scare, some of the scariest moments I've had in my life, besides, like, certain things that have happened, like, maybe traumatic things in my family well fear fear was the goal i think in in many ways in the media at least in the portrayal you know the kill counts on npr on cbs can you imagine that they ran a ticker count all day in the corner of your screen and then um nobody would nobody was talking about the survival rates nobody was talking about 99.8 percent survival nobody was talking about you know so there's the point that i'm trying to make is perception and the way that public narrative is is shaped around something is huge. So you can have one event and have two completely different interpretations of it based on how the media kind of Well, there are people right now it. that I think, you know, I still see students wearing masks at yeah. times. I often wonder sometimes if it's more of like a... So I, I don't ask anything about anything. Yeah. Some people, I think, may feel that they're immunocompromised. 
some people may feel that they just got over something and they don't want it and they feel responsible to protect the public health for themselves. Um, and I think though that's a very valid, like, you know, natural evolution. That's what's come out of this. I think that for me, because I am so traumatized by the mask in some ways that I just want to live in that place where you go to the preschool and die from sickness. <laughs> I, I felt very baby. I felt like the government was babying me. They were telling me that I had to put this thing on my face because I can't control my secretions. That, like, like you know, w- why can't I just wash my hands? Why can't you trust me to wash my hands and to not, like, spit on people? I felt like, you know, it made people afraid of the air. Yeah. It made people afraid to breathe. This is all stuff that makes me really anxious. Like the fact that I was really lucky that the East Liberty Studios windows were like able to open because mm-hmm. that was like people felt really much more comfortable with the air open, um, the windows open. But I I do feel like it made people suspicious of air, of like, it it, it was like, and you know, there was all this stuff like about the idea of like, trusting your immunity okay and people would be like i don't need a vaccine i don't need then i trust my immunity or i don't need to wear a mask i trust my immunity and you know i'm gonna say that in my back of my mind like the base person that i am like inside of myself like could could hear that from people and and be like yeah i mean didn't we do that before but then there was the side of me also that's like hey, you're not a doctor, you're not the government, and you don't, like, you know, you've got to go and listen to what they're telling you to do to be safe and to do the proper thing for other people. Otherwise, it's just like people that decided that they didn't want to do that were labeled as bad people. So I felt like at times that that was something that was really on me as a, as a business owner, a small business owner, particularly in the industry that I'm in, like the choices that I made at times, I was trying to do the right thing. But at times I was also dealing with my own personal emotion of how I was feeling about it. And I think that, you know, to a certain extent, people make a lot of opinions about that, about me and about other people that were doing stuff like that. Because we were just literally, I think there were certain people that feel like, Maybe I was too lenient. And then I got called Hitler one day by somebody who thought I was too strict. So, like, literally, you know, the person that's coming at Jewish you. Hitler. Team Jewish Hitler. Yeah, I always thought that was funny. They were like, you're like, what are you, Hitler? This is what they did in the Holocaust to Jews. And I was like, oh, my God. I am not. They're like using a vaccine card as a, as a card, like a Jewish star. And I'm like, wow. okay. I don't even know what to do with this. Like, you're calling a girl whose step-grandparents were survivors of the Holocaust yeah. from Auschwitz. Like, this is crazy that you're saying this to me. I'm, I'm trying to make my students comfortable to be able to practice in my business yeah. so that I don't go bankrupt <clears throat> and, like, actually continue a business that people that want to come there find value in and are enjoying their time there. And actually, many people told me that being open and having that space to go to during the pandemic was the one thing that like actually kept them connected to not like losing their marbles. You probably saved some lives by staying open as much as you could. I don't know about that, probably. but I, I do think that I, I probably in some ways that there was certain people that the actual, not like me being open and our teachers that came there and, and taught and 
soldiered through it with masks on their face yeah. were like, you know, literally the showing up and the connection that some people felt so isolated. Uh, some teacher trainees had told me that part of the reason they recently took teacher training was because during the time of the pandemic, they had come into the city, new to the city, didn't know anyone, had come here for a job, barely were here when everything got shut down. So they hadn't really rooted themselves into the community yet. And then when things opened up, one of the first things, one of the first places that they went and like tried out just to get out of their house, not knowing a freaking soul was come to a yoga class. And then over a period of a certain little bit of time, they felt community there. And that that was what they looked forward to after sitting at their desk at home, isolated every day, working from home, that that like 545 class or whatever was what kept them from like literally just being completely isolated and feeling like, like there was like, there was that there was no hope. And one girl basically said she was like, it made me love yoga so much. It made me recognize that doing yoga with other people is great. It also made me realize that I want to be in a community of other people that I want to be able to like share this with and do this with because it's fun for me. So there was that that happened. And that's, and to me, that's the purest part of what I do. I think like that's the inherent intention drive that got me where I am today is like what I loved about it. I think along the way, like, you know, having been a business owner in the pandemic, that my path was really shifted and focusing on financial survival became like a big forefront of something that I don't necessarily think I wanted that to be my, my intentions initially when I became a yoga teacher were just because I loved it so much. At the time I was married and I mean, we used it as an extra contributory, contributory, and there I got it, income, but it wasn't (laughs) anything that I needed to live at the time, but it certainly helped our family. Everybody can use a little more money, right? And also like, okay, now like the extraneous items that me and the children wanted could, you know, but it was like when that all came to the end and financially I recognized that Pittsburgh is not a city for a yoga teacher to be able to survive on unless you want to, you know, also, I wasn't also not 25 at the time. So maybe perhaps if you're a fitness instructor that's 25 and can teach, you know, multiple classes a day over and over and over and over again, and for days and days and do that, and you know, get popular enough that you could actually sustain, you still wouldn't make a great living, but you could survive maybe. Do you like um, teaching privates too? I have been I've done that I find that a lot of people do privates um really are looking for therapy and (laughs) I hit me (laughs) oh my god are you calling yourself out you're that goofy guy that does the weird practice in the room and does privates for therapy I've never taken I've never done a private other than with with Brian that was the first time I've ever done it but no I'm saying like (laughs) if I were to to do that it it would 100% be because I probably They come in there and then they'll like want to do some things yoga wise, but then they just get into a conversation with you. And I'm like, I think initially I found that fine. And I also was like, okay, this is good. I like, but now I feel like "Mm, I'm just too busy for like that. Like, and I also, I don't want to say that in sounding like in a bad way, like I'm too busy to talk to people, but it's like, I don't feel like I... I don't want to give people advice and I don't necessarily want to know everything about everybody. And 
I don't want to build relationships in a strange way like that. So I felt myself feeling like that I'm not the right person for that. I do know some of the yoga teachers that teach for me at my studio and then others that I know colleague-wise that do very well with that and really like it and are good at it. And they are the kinds of teachers that do well with that. I'm good at retreats. I like retreats. Oh, cool. That's a good thing for me. I like retreats. I like trainings and I like workshops and I like mostly I like to teach in public. Where, where are your favorite places to take people? Well, I've done at this point nine retreats to Tulum. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what properties? Are I go to Amansala. Okay. It's North. Beach or in south? Tulum, it's yeah. uh, in Tulum Beach, so the, literally the tip of the the tip of the world, yeah. like where you go down and you're at the end. Yeah, I yeah. rode my bike every day. I love. I Tulum. ride my bike in Tulum. Remember we were yeah. talking about bikes. Yeah. Tulum bike riding every is day. every day. Although I will say the roads there are no no bueno. <laughs> They're I like bumpy. That. I like that beach road. Do you go to Playa Papaya? Did you party at all, or are you just talking? Oh, about yeah, that? we do, we do. I mean, this is like, I always say, a yoga retreat with me is not the same as, the, we the, We don't make an emphasis, there's no emphasis on, on health and wellness, in the sense of, like, this Good. is a yoga treat that is, like, I, I frame it more mine, or, like, take your yoga studio on your vacation, yeah. because that's what we're about. So if you're wanting to go to do, like, Vipassana, or, like, be, like, I always, this is what I do that I find fun, and people can del- delve into it as much or as you know, least as they want. I always come up with a theme. Cool. And something that is a general intention from start of retreat to end that I'll furl through my classes. And we might journal on and we might have like little activities that we do that can like further along that theme. Um, and if that's something that you are like vibing with, because there's certain people on the retreat that are like, okay, I, they grab onto that and they love that. And others are like, yeah, I like 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 opening night and closing night. They're like, yeah, you know, but otherwise they're like, nah, you know, they, they just don't. So you got to let people like feel what's right. And I, I bring that as an offering because I'm, you know, creating a retreat. So I bring that as an offering, but I'm not pushing it on anyone. I bring that for whoever's receptive to it. And I don't I also even whoever's receptive to it, I don't push that a lot. Like we spend some free time. We have like things we do together. We have things we do apart. Also, everything is optional. No, you're paying for what you're paying for, but everything is optional. No, I'm here. I'm going to teach the class. I'm going to do the things. But if you don't want to come, there's no, like you go do you, you know, attend as you want. In other words, just like a yoga studio is, we have a schedule, right? And you're at home here and you're doing that. Oh, I'm checking in on a class tonight. You know, like, Or not, or do you do it with other teachers? Is there a business that you work with? So I've done it it both ways. The the trip that I'm taking in, and literally, um, it's literally like seven weeks away. I'm going to Italy, and I'm taking 32 people. Wow, where are you going? I'm going to uh, the Umbria, Umbria, like Umbria, the Umbrian Hills. You know, okay, I don't know Italy. Um, so it's the right, the right side, the right, the right side in the countryside. East of Tuscany towards the coast. And there will be some coastal towns there, too. Is it the Alps? No, not the Alps. It's in Italy. There's Italian Alps. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's the Alps. I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was the Umbrian Hills. I thought you were, like, the Alps. Like, the, Switzerland. There's, there's actually, that's one of the reasons that, that I think Rome and some of the other, like, civilizations in Italy did so well is because there's mountains. The Alps oh, protect right. the north of Italy from the Gauls and all the, all the other warring tribes. 
So they couldn't come down and attack Caesar because, you know, there's these huge mountain ranges. And that's the story with um, Hannibal. So Hannibal was a general from Persia, I believe. And he took an army of elephants over the Alps into Italy and, and attacked. Holy shit. Yeah. Italy is fascinating and yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, I can't wait to go. I just want to eat everything. Oh, I'm my eat all God. The food. Do, you have, do you have, like, a This diet? will be my second time in Italy. What do you eat? I, my, what do I eat? Everything. Yeah. everything. No limits. No limits. I got seafood, no allergies. pork. Seafood, pork. Uh, beef and, and beef, chickens. Chicken. And give it to me. It. You give it to me. Hot dogs. Hot dogs. Cereal. Cereal. Grain. Grain. Breads. Breads. Um, juice. Juice. You'll do it all. Mm-hmm. There's not. I'm and try to think of something I won't eat. You can't. Um, liver and. I mean, if they do pâtés, it right. Yeah. Uh, no, I love pate. Yeah, oh my god! Stuff. In fact, don't even say that because I'll be driving home to. Yeah. yeah. In fact, right now I'm so upset that Poulet Blue is closed on Lawrenceville. Oh, I don't know. Because they have the best pate. Nice. And like my like I learned I came to pate way late in the game because my my best friend was living in London, and like. We went to like some restaurants and we got, she ordered it and I was like, ew. And then like, she like literally, this is like in my like forties. Yeah. And she was like, just, just, just eat, it. eat yeah, this yeah, on yeah. this it's cracker. The it's the best the thing. And, and I was like, so I don't want to eat that on that cracker. And she's like, are you kidding me no. that you've never eaten this? And I'm like, no, I'm like, it always seemed disgusting to me. And she was like, who cares? Just eat it. Yeah. And so I ate the one cracker and I was like, That's I was amazing. like, how sad for myself that I didn't do this before. And so then she went to like some equivalent of like whole foods ish type of place in London by her, by her flat and got us like our own little one. And like sat, we sat there and she had like a coffee table that was really low where you could like put stuffy cushions on the floor, stuffy cushions on the floor, low coffee table, hunk of each of us had our own pate and a whole box of crackers and like wine, rosé. Rock Angel. And you just like, <laughs> and we just were like, yep. like yep. that, just like for a long time. And I'm going to tell you something. I could eat a lot of that. I could probably fill, finish a third of a box of crackers. I like that. crustinis with a oh, pate. Stop. You know, I need a, a crustini. I need a like, crustini is amazing. Yeah. A toast. The I like a crustini. I like key. a crustini. I feel that a lot of restaurants, when you go and you yeah. order that, they don't give you enough crustini or cracker no. or whatever. And you have this thing of pate and then they're that. So then as soon as I'm done with that, I just I start. Order another one. I, well, I will. I They'll come by the table and I'll be like, can I have a little yeah. bit more? Bring it back. It's just like you're not giving somebody enough pita or something. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, that doesn't work. You, the ration of pita or crostini to the dip or the pate is accurate. Im- I love tuna, tuna tartare. That's what I do favorites. like that too. Get down on. I eat sushi. Yep. Love it. No, no, limits. anything. Oysters. Oysters. Love oysters. I'm, I'm all down. In fact, that's probably one of my favorites. It's the best. There's a good spot in Lawrenceville for that. The merchant, yes, I just was there. Co, I just was right? there. Merchant yeah, oyster. Yeah, yep, they're legit. great. Also, their um, spinach choke and artichoke dip is amazing, legit. but you get it with crab. Ooh. So they put the crab in it. It also is yellow hmm. because it has, I think, I think it might have a turmeric in it or something. Nice. A tumor, you know, yeah. turmeric. <laughs> I, I do not have a tumor. It, it might it's have that a, in it. It's not a tumor. Do you what? like wine? Yeah, yeah. I don't know much about it. 
but I do like it. No, me neither. Yeah. I know one thing. If I'm going to get a rosé, I like one from Provence. So mm. I like it to be French. It just is better. I like a certain color that's like a lighter, mm. um, pale, 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 neutral nectar color versus like a pink or orange or uh, that kind of color. His... He's going to break in. He's going to learn how to be a klepto. He's on his way up. Come meet, come meet Rigel. Is rosé uh, strawberry champagne? Is that the same thing? No, it's not the same as... River Monster! <laughs> Where's the Duckville River Monster? It's about to be built so big. Oh, my God. Wow. Holy crap. Yeah, I built it so high, I was about to fall. I... This? You built that? Yeah, this is city. Oh, that's cool. You have yeah. your own little world. It's like a SimCity kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you do Legos. Is that Legos? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my son was a Star Wars Legos junkie. Like, mm. still to this day. In fact, 24-year-old... Sorry, Zach, I'm outing you on this podcast. But, like, literally him and his buddy the one day, like, got lunch and went over to Target for something for their apartment. And he's literally, like, over in the toy section by himself a little fucking Star Wars Legos. <laughs> At 24? Like, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, he's like, no, I'm just, and and I like was like, are you? He's like, I mean, I'm not playing with it. <laughs> the the store is knows? amazing. The Lego store at the mall, it's really cool. I mean, Zach, I'm gonna tell you something. Do you know how I? Uh, this is how Legos and yoga are gonna tie together. In order for me to do teacher training, I had to pay for it myself. My husband was like, nah, because at the time he was like, we don't have the money for that or something, and um, that's totally fine. Um, and so my kids had a lot of Legos that they weren't using anymore, some really cool sets, and they were older. And I, they had saved the instructions and the boxes and all the things. Whoa. And I eBayed them for an entire thousands of dollars teacher training. Wow. They were really into Legos. Oh, yeah, they were. <laughs> like, my, my son had, like, sets that were, like, like, like what, is it, what is that thing called that... um. The black brown thing that's uh, the the Empire. Ship. Oh, uh, oh, the uh, Millennium Falcon, the Death Star. The Death Star. Yeah. He had the Death Star, and he had the Millennium Falcon, and he had wow. the Lego versions of those. Are like really? They're like there's certain editions of those that are like seriously are people. They're like thousands of pieces, and like put yeah, together, yeah. they look so cool. And like also the little figurines that they had, they had certain ones that like Boba Fett and stuff that were like really cool and he was really into that he he retained some of those ones he still to this day has retained some of those for his like personal collection he mad at you for selling them for selling the other ones no the ones that he let me he he 100 percent like that was a thing where i was like going through the kids stuff like looking at their like my stepdaughter had these american girl dolls that were like all the rage back then and like she also and some barbies that were also the rage and we had kept them pretty good as toys. I mean, that's the thing. And they ended up serving me in a such a way that, like, cool. it came back around. So all those times that I spoiled them and shouldn't have bought them those things. Like, in other words, you know, you get into Target and you're like, we're in here for dish soap and this. And then your kid has, like, three toys in the thing. Uh, don't learn anything from this. Don't listen to Suzanne. But, like, that's what happens. Yeah. And then I would be like, oh, my God, and I'm spoiling them. And then, like, there would be also the arguments by the cart, and I'd be like, no, and they'd be like, yes, and then we're never getting out of there, and they're screaming. And just they win. They win, they win, they win. 
guess what? Guess who won in the end? Yeah, yeah. You got your teacher training, and then you launched this amazing business, and you're helping people, and you're like, you have a, a path. You have a life path that you've. I feel from I it. do have a life path. I feel like I do. I I think um I still got one chapter left in me. Is the writing? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. You're gonna put out. You're gonna do a book. So it's formulating to be a fiction novel, I think. Oh, cool. And I think it's going to be something where some of these hilarious things that have happened to me, both dramatic and both, like, no one would ever... Like, the kind of thing when you're telling your therapist and they're, like, literally, like, this is the best session I've ever had. Yeah, yeah. Like, that kind of thing. They're going in the book, but, like, in ways that are, like, going to be fictionalized, That's I think. Awesome. Like, cool. I might even take some, like, license with them. But there'll be things that are, like based on some experiences that I've had. And also, like, you know, I mean, maybe I'll set it in a place that I want to live or have, you know, visited or something. Maybe Italy. It could be set in Italy. When I went to Italy last year, I read a book from a girl who actually had wrote the book about the hotel that she stayed in in Italy, which I stayed in that same hotel. She had gone there after her mother died. Um, they were supposed to take a trip together as a mother and a daughter. Late, you know, like she had a small children. And they were going to do a mother daughter like week in Italy together for her mother's like maybe seventieth, eightieth birthday, something like a seventieth. I think seventieth. Yeah, sixtieth. I don't know. It's some big trip like that. And they ended up. Um, the mother died of cancer, pretty quickly. Like it got diagnosed and died pretty quickly. And she went and took the trip on her own. She was not going to take it. And that it was just like, well, I'm just going to go. And she went and she explored it for herself. And she actually moves herself through her grief of her mother. It was a really lovely story because she really puts in the characteristics of the hotel, which was run by a family. It's not a chain. This is a, these people had like their grandparents had this villa and this one had this villa and that one and that one. And then eventually they just connected the villas and they were also, they were also talented with carpentry and like building and like all these things that they eventually just like created it. So like you, there's all these different rooms that you stay in and like, you feel like you're in your own, like a private Italian villas with like balconies and right over the Amalfi Coast. Yeah. And then, like, they treat you like gold. It's just wonderful. And they, like, you know, you come and go, and the like, concierge is so sweet to you. And they have this, like, cool little VW bug um, car that they take you everywhere in that's, like, cream-colored, and you, like, drive the little Amalfi Coast in it. And she wrote a book. She made it a fiction story, like, kind of using some of her own experiences with her mother's death and then her experiences in Italy, and then she turns it into a fiction story with fiction characters and some things happen. And that's what The White Lotus is based on? <laughs> Actually, probably. Well, that's, Shit. That's what it it's called One about. Italian Summer by Rebecca Searle, and it's a really good book, and I highly recommend it to any. In fact, a friend of mine is going to Italy, and I was like, get this book. And then another friend of mine's mom is going to Italy, and I was like, get your mom this book for Mother's Day to go to Italy. How do you feel about that, like, with kids and online? And yeah, what, yeah. What's going to happen with him with that, with you? Yeah, it's a whole thing, you know. I think there's a lot of parents who cross the line in terms of like the YouTube accounts that are just using their child to generate revenue. There's definitely a line that can be crossed related to like sexualizing children. I think that posting a family photo is okay. If you're not a celebrity, nobody's coming after me. Like nobody cares who I am. That this is going to be something that my kid is going to be like. Thank you. I appreciate that. Maybe, did daddy want one too? I think dad wanted 
It's all right. Dad no wanted biggie. one. No? He's like, you don't get any. I'll give it to her. Um, yeah. So, so the point is that social you're, you're media for the kids that grew up on social media. It's a lot of bullying. Oh, I mean, yeah. you can't imagine. I get bullied. Yeah, like people yeah. get bullied all the time. Is that what you were talking about when you were talking about like the downsides of being a yoga teacher? Absolutely. What What do you mean by like? Oh bullying? my god, hatefulness! I get hateful, hateful things said to me online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Terrible things. People like, all you care about is money. You're a Ford factory of um, pumping out yoga teachers. I only allow 12 people in my teacher trainings at a time. And also, I work very hard on that curriculum. And I'm like, I, you know, it's not a Ford factory. I, I have a 12-person limit to each session. Do not go past that. And I work really hard to, like, share this knowledge it's a really comprehensive training yeah but you have people it's mostly what happens in the yoga industry is that the teacher trainings have created a culture of like i don't know like you can't hire everybody and also you're working with a lot of young people let's say you know a teacher doesn't like um i don't know like the way that you run your business, a contract, uh, uh, doesn't want to, you know. Are there non-competes or how does it work? Bring it up here, dude. Um, I think every studio is different. I have like a boundary where I feel like is good for me and my business. And I, I put it out there and I'm pretty honest about it. And I think like, no, I don't hold back in saying that like, it's too much conflict, um, because there's a lot of competition, and so if it's in a certain range around yeah, yeah, my yeah. business... Yeah, so you give them, like, two, three miles or something, or five I miles? I give them six. Okay. Yeah, but I'm not, like, a firm... firm. Like, I'm, like, six... It, like, within six, I want to know what the situation is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so t- talk to me about it. hmm Yeah, so I've had people, people that do, like, four, and I'm, like, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just need to know, like... And, and then if if it's, like, a conflict directly, like, it's too close or I feel uncomfortable with the situation, then I'm like, nah. But it, it just is like, I think each business owner has the right to decide what's going to work to serve their memberships and their business. We're not in business together, these other places. So it's like, you know, and then, you you know, yoga teachers become very connected to your community as well as, like, your policies and what you're doing. And think about it. I mean, in some ways, they are competitive businesses. So it's like, then, you know, you fear that maybe too much will crisscross and, like, people could... Because you can't trust everybody. And so that, that's a problem. I think for me, I've encountered situations where there's teachers that either didn't get what they wanted from me or didn't like the way that I run my business or what I do so that they might feel that they need to, like, lash out at me. I think that also the industry has a lot of um, people that are very... Uh, have a lot of opinions about yoga and things like that. And then they really can, you know, go down a path of like, um, in the name of yoga being very, like actually pretty nasty in the name of yoga. I've had people say things to me that are like so nasty, like that. I'm like, and this is because you're such a good yoga person. Yeah. Yeah, You're saying holier than thou. 
thing. Yeah, like you you know, um just just sanctimonious. Stuff. Yeah, very sanctimonious. sanctimonious. Like um, you know, one of the things about being a, a studio owner, I think, is that I think most studio owners come to this realization is that it is pretty much a revolving door, except for yourself. Because anybody that's coming to teach it, I mean, I have a couple long term teachers that like literally they're very settled in their life and their rhythms and they love what they do and they they work with me well and I work with them well and they love their they've made their their situation is exactly what they like. They like their class time. They like their students. They're comfortable with their their they have a vibe and they've been there a while. But I have a lot of ones that come and go. Like yeah, that college students, CMU, Pitt. Like. Grad students in particular, college students. Also, you lose a lot of women to um, getting married and having a baby at this point. Yeah. Um, you lose people to um, I'm moving to Costa Rica and doing this thing with sea turtles. I mean, you lose a lot of people. Like, what could be a better job for being a mom than being a yoga teacher? Right. So, well, moms, you can get a mom yoga teacher, but um, not as much in the city. In the South Hills or the North Hills and things like that, you can find that. I mean, I really do think that people my age teaching yoga the way that I teach it are a dying breed. It, what What do you mean by that? Like, what What's the way that you teach it? Like, um, I mean, I I think other people are teaching it the way I'm teaching it, but not at my age. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm getting old for what I teach. I think the way that I teach, which is what. Um, pretty high energy vinyasa that's very creative and rooted in like really modern music and like, you know, a lot, a lot of activity, like, like exercise stylish vinyasa, you know, that's what I like to do. That's what I always like to do. I mean, it was my favorite type, but I think like to a certain extent, if you look around at the yoga industry right now and the people that are teaching, the oldest ones in it in Pittsburgh, I would say, are all yoga studio owners that have a longevity of it, that have a clientele and that have been doing it a while. So they're inherently like invested into it for themselves. But you don't see, you know, I'm not seeing a lot of people my age coming down the pike to teach yoga anymore, doing what I'm doing. Yeah, that makes sense. So hence the revolving door. Hence the revolving door. And I do think that like, you know, this idea that if you don't somehow or another have all these people that have been teaching for you for 10 years, what, these people have to teach for me in perpetuity? Like, they come, they go. Not all of the reasons that they go are bad reasons. Like, many, most of them are not. You have the bad apple here and there. You have the teacher that throws a fit about something. It happens. And students. So that's yeah. the teacher side of it. But then you have the student side of it. You have um, anything from they come in and they... I literally saw on ClassPass the other day. Hang on one second. He's going in there. The um. I saw on ClassPass the other day that a teacher. So one of my teachers was upset because she got um a, a student said a nasty thing about her on ClassPass. And she's she's like 28 years old. And she teaches like about three or four classes a week for me. And. What's hysterical was in the class pass reviews, there's a review that says this. It's the same class. Um, I love this teacher. So I'm not saying any names or anything. I love this teacher so much. She was amazing. She's kind. She's wonderful. The energy in the room was amazing. The instructions were lovely. She offered you many modifications. And it, all in all, I found this to be an amazing experience. <clears throat> 10 out of 10 would recommend. Nice. Something like that. That's incredible. Yeah. And the next review from the same exact class said, 
this teacher was absolutely terrible and needs to be more respectful. Huh. Let's wrap it up. There's a workshop on Saturday. There's still some retreat slots, or they're all they're all full. Um, I think with retreats, so the one I'm doing in Italy, they there's a company that I'm working with because I'm not familiar enough with Italy. I can do the Tulum one. I do it. I re, I do it myself. But this one, I have to hire a company. Okay. Like they do it with me. Um, or actually, they hire me. Excuse me. It's an opposite way around. They hire you to do it. They will. I think basically. I think they've sold out of most of the rooms, but like if somebody was. Desperate. Like somebody really wanted to go and that it lined up with the right room that they wanted. Like this is all we had left basically Got it. Um, kind of thing. So we really did do what we needed to do. Now we have only a certain kind of room left. And if that's not what you wanted, I don't know if it's probably the best room either, but it's probably like because it's the last rooms left. Cool. But like that's what's there. Um, so we have that going. And then we have I have my workshop this Saturday. Amazing. What time is it? 11 a.m. And um, not sold out yet. No, it's sold out. Oh, okay. All right. I know so it has a wait list. All right. Yeah. Well, so do your all your classes. That's why you know. That's why I don't go. Oh my god, you got so mad that one time. I could tell you were like, "What the fuck?" And I'm like, "These people are like." I just had somebody like ream me for. You. I had somebody ream me for over. Like literally, I have a review that says, "Um, <laughs> this this person's class are too. They're too busy." And I was, like, real sensitized by that, you know? So yeah, I was yeah, like, oh, yeah, I have yeah. to make sure I don't overdo it because yeah, yeah. people get so mad. And then it's like, there's nothing more that, like, into, into this as to who I am as a person to be like, no, you can't practice. I'm like, ugh. And it's just the worst thing. But it's like people get so sensitive and then they, like, have to say all this crap about your class. And you're like, you're just trying to spread, you know, the more the merrier kind of vibe. But... I mean, I've been doing this a while, so it's yeah. like, you know, people, once you've developed that rapport with people, they like that. I don't think that that makes, you know, I think it's because I've shown up. I think it's because I'm there. You know what I mean? Like, think about it. It's like, who's the one coming again and again and again? I'm not the revolving door. I'm there. I show up. I've been there a while. People have gotten to practice with me for a while. Yeah. It's a really good product and people know what to expect. Yeah, and they know what to expect, and yeah. then it builds. And over time, you develop relationships, and you're, you're a you become a part of somebody's routine. Like that's what we call it in the industry is being a destination teacher, which is somebody that like people actually put into their phone or like something that like yeah, that's Suze's class or whatever. That they've put that into their life because they value spending that time with you and the product that you've created for them. And I don't mean to like make it like so sterile like saying this product but you know it is a skill set and it's a craft that you do and it's also the that what it comes down to with yoga is people are showing up at your class because they like the version of yoga that you offer that's all it is you don't it doesn't make you better it doesn't make you the best it doesn't make you wrong or right what I wanted to say is I really appreciate your time and thank you so much for thank being you. here. Thank you. I literally was halfway kidding when you put, I was just looking at your stories and you're like, yeah. hey, who wants to be on my podcast? And I was like, me. And then I was like, literally like, oh, I thought you were kind of kidding and whatever. Mm. I was just being like, sometimes I'll just like, you know, when people throw out questions and like DMs and stuff, yeah. I'm like, that's, I just did, well, I don't know. It was kind of like, actually though, I felt really drawn to do that. Once you were like, yeah, actually, do you want to? I was like, I've never done a podcast. I've been asked numerous times. Yeah. 
and I never did. I think this. I think it's gonna come out really nice. And um, oh, cool. I'm I'm gonna sign the list. I'm gonna sign up for your class. I'm coming back. I'm gonna do it. I hate signing the list, but I'll do it. You for are you. coming. You came during a really busy time too. Like yeah. my my um. There's certain times a year when we tell people, dude, you got to sign up. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody is in that mood. And then there's times when everybody's not. It's like going to like a date night on a Tuesday. It's great. You can get a table. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those things. But yeah. You have to you have to think about the collective. But yeah, I don't teach on Saturday mornings in in East Liberty anymore. I teach oh, really? I teach in the strip district on Sundays. Sunday morning. Sunday morning. That's my church. that's my class. Sunday well, morning, I don't church. like to call it church because I'm I'm like not religious, but I was gonna ask about that. Does the Judaism like factor into your life? Um, anymore? no. If anything that I identify with it would be to be Jewish, but I just didn't. I don't feel like I feel like that's in incorrect for me to like actually perpetuate myself as this like very spiritually Jewish person because I'm yeah. not. I do believe in the traditions. I celebrate them with my family, but like I don't like I I actually did have a bat mitzvah and I do yeah, and I yeah. do I can speak and read Hebrew, but I don't think that makes me necessarily like I don't observe it. You don't study the Kabbalah. Are you, are you a Hindu? Are you into the Hinduism? No, I mean you I was. I got real into the sutras real quick there for a minute. Like yeah. I mean I think a lot of yogis do. Like I once I started to learn and understand the the. The Hindu mythology and the Buddhism behind it. For me, it was a. I like to learn. I'm like like that person that reads books, and then whenever I'm reading, I'm really into, and really into like learning about it, and I'll deep dive a little bit. And I got really into that. But what I really found was that I liked the idea that um, everything was I I was reading made sense to me, and was really like created an overall idea of how I can be more peaceful with myself. And so that's that's where I go with it. I mean, I don't, I had, a, my, my dad's family was all Catholic, very devout Roman Catholic. Hmm. Um, and every person that I've ever been married to was Christian. Yeah, I was going to ask if, if your man is a member of the tribe. No, he's Catholic. Um, he was coming back to dad, right? In some ways. Total daddy issues, yeah. Um, but I think for sure, like, it just... For whatever reason, I think that me personally, Suzanne, I think I'm attractive to Irish Catholic men for whatever reason and vice versa. There's like a distinct um, Jew girl meets Irish Catholic man vibe that goes on between me and, and whatever I do because it seems repeated in my life numerous times. And they all probably know. <laughs> I grew up in an area with a lot of Irish Catholic people. The South Hills of Pittsburgh do have like yeah. out. Yeah, there's a lot of Irish Catholic people, and so the Irish Catholics it's, a, it's an interesting it's an interesting group. Lots of children, mm -hmm. lots of children. Those families have lots of that, children. That was the other story we almost got into about how I got switched schools, and I, I ended up in a Catholic school for junior and senior year of high school. So I didn't know anyone. They'd been in school together. Oh since right, we were talking about moving. And yeah, that they'd happened been in to school you. together since kindergarten. All in the same classes, all in the same sports. Do you think it I made you stronger? <clears throat> Um, and you were a yeah. Jew. Yeah, Jewish. And not only that, the craziest part was that the principal, um, whose name's Meyerly, I don't remember, Joseph Meyerly, ended up dying in a car crash the second week of my junior year, my first two weeks there. And so not only was I Jewish, not only did I not know anyone, but now they had all centered around this tragedy and they were able to experience it together. And I was... You I didn't, didn't even know. know yeah. He shook my hand and told me I could come to school, even though I'd 
failed out of every other school in Ann Arbor. Wow. So you're a Jew like me in some ways who was a, even though I'm assuming both your parents are Jewish? Yeah, my mom's a convert. Okay. She's like, um, what is she? Uh, Baptist? Oh, she converted. Yeah. yeah. To, okay, so that's what my first husband converted. So my son is Jewish because mm. he converted. He would have been anyway because of you. Right, exactly. But like, for sure. For but the, like, like his dad. Jewish yeah. thing. But he was a convert. But like, that's. So you know what it feels like then to be the only Jew in the areas that were there not okay that's oh, big a big time. I mean we grew up north of Ann Arbor so we were out in the country and like when we would have our Hanukkah menorah up in the window and everybody else had the Christmas lights like I'm, I'm scarred from that. Like literally my Christmas mom like I'm like I harbored paper on our on our trees and I eggs. cried. I had a huge year. fight with my mom like hysterical like crying like your throat sore eyes puffing out why can't we have lights? Do you know what you're doing to me? Like yeah. that vibe. Yeah, we do it. We do it. I do it all. I love it. I love Christmas. Do you know what I do? I do now, hot, I do Christmas I do, everything. Uh, because you know why? Christmas I just want to participate. I just don't think it's, I don't, I want to participate in it in a secular way. Like 100%. I really truly think it's like, let's get into the season. It's very American. Let me do some gingerbread. It's, it, let me get some gingerbread shit going on. Let me, it's American you know, culture. like, I'm like, like this is, an, I, I want to smell the pines. I like a little, 100%. I go to Target, get an ornament every year for the tree. We got a nice little tree. It's a Same fun here. thing. Yep. Do a little thing, put a little garland up. And then when we January rolls around, we're done. We love it. But I love it too. And I'm like, it's a great I want to do it. Tradition. And I don't want to be like cast out of it. And I also don't want to be judged for it. And I also don't really want to celebrate it religiously in one, any way. One year I was um, dating a, a Christian girl, Catholic girl from um, New Jersey. I went and visited her family. Um, first in the East Coast uh, at in Staten Island, and then later on in, in the West Coast. Out, uh, her grandma was in uh, Palm Desert, just east of Los Angeles. Okay. And they had this ham that was cooking in the oven for all day long, twelve hours. And we were just mm, smelling. I this can thing. smell it already. It's, was so rich, just incredible with the pineapple, and just the amazing odor. We sit down to eat, and um, uh. Her mom looks at me as we're about to kind of bless the food and take our first bites, and she goes, you know, the tradition of eating ham on Easter comes because they used to force the converted Jews to eat pig to prove that they were no longer Jews. Ew. She said that to you? (laughs) 110%. 110%. That yeah. reminds me of the one time insane. that my mom had on Fucking Christmas. Insane. Like, do you know that the Jews killed Christ? Like, one of my dad's, like, aunts or some shit said to my mom. And my mom was literally like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, she, <laughs> she was literally like, but, like, I'm like, oh, my God, people. Just stop. Get over it. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. All, right. All this anti-Semitic shit, though. Oof. Yeah, that's a That's wild for time. another podcast. Yeah, you got to yeah. do one on that. To yeah, be I'd honest. like to. I'll, I'm I trying mean, to think who I'd bring on. Maybe my French cousin. You know, I was talking about how I have those French cousins. Yeah. One of them's named um, uh, Jacques. Is really, uh, we're actually pretty close. And um, not only has he lived in Paris as a Jew for uh, most of his life, which is one of the worst places on earth for anti-Semitism. Is as it? As far as I can tell. Yeah, outside the Middle East. It's not oh good. Oh, my God. It, but now he's in Israel. So now he's living in in. Tel Aviv. Well, he would like probably a have a lot of interesting things to say about that then. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, I think 
Pittsburghers do too, you know. I wasn't here for Tree of Life, um, but you were. That was where um, Tree of Life was where um, my nephew was bar mitzvahed. Um, my grandfather was bar mitzvahed. Um, my whole family spent Passover every year. Um, during the people in that congregation were people that knew, I mean, no, numerous members of my family, including my brother-in-law. Um, in fact, the day of that uh, shooting was actually supposed to be my niece's bat mitzvah. But what had happened was she got behind on her Torah portion and the, they had postponed it. Jesus. So we all look at that as like, wow, kind of vibe. That's the day that it was supposed to be. So, and it would have been there. I think the whole, I mean, that whole story is just, it's like mind-numbingly sad. And Where sick. I think, are we in uh, Pittsburgh? I think I saw this on the news the other day because it was like the anniversary. I think that is the deadliest anti-Semitic attack that's ever occurred in America. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Tree of Life. Yeah, and, and the thing was, it wasn't really about Jews at all, you know? And that's what's wild about it. It was, it was about anti-immigrant sentiment. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. the guy hated Jews, obviously, but it was like he targeted that community because they were welcoming immigrants in. Yeah. Trying to like bring them in to. And it was just one of the three congregations. Yeah. There's three congregations. The refugees that refugees and stuff. Yeah. Uh, that lost members. And it was just the one that was like involved with this activity. Just wild. Just a wild world. But there's a lot of good out there, you know, and you see it. I think that the fact that there's still a Jewish community here and like, you know, that still gets up every Saturday and walks to their synagogue is, you know, that's resilience. See, that's, that's. Well, Jews are resilient. Yeah. That's going to take more than that to stop us. <laughs> Let's get a picture together. Okay. This was fun. It was so fun. Right. Should I unhook my, yep. my headphones? Yep. Forgot I was wearing them after a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so much fun. Yeah, right.